Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Corks 96 FM. Funny thing about the budget, you know, what you get taken away from you happens at midnight. Like, the petrol goes up at midnight. The cigs go up at midnight. And then you might get out of it, which this year, by the way, is precious little for you and me in our wallets. You don't get that until sometime in March. But we'll go over the budget in, in its relevant detail during the next couple of hours. And then joining, joining us between 11 and 12 today will be Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. And if you have a question for the Minister, you can text a WhatsApp it in to us. Of course, the number is 1850-715-996. The text to WhatsApp, 083-396-9696. Your email is opinion at 96fm.ie and your Twitter is at opinionline96 and you can contact us through Facebook, the Cork's 96fm Facebook page and mark your messages please for the attention of the opinion line. Now I'll go through the main points of budget 2021 in a little while and we'll be talking to some business owners, talking to a publican, talking to a carer, talking to a, a, a worker with a family and somebody in college a professional musician because they're not overly pleased even though they on the face of it did reasonably okay yesterday talking to a whole range of people I'd like to talk to you as well if you've been looking at the budget and what it means to you could they have done better for you is it the best they could possibly have achieved for you are you worried about how we're going to give all of this money back because guess what when the man gives you money the man wants his money back eventually and an awful lot of money is being spent in budget 2021 all of your newspapers all of them have supplements and additional uh, column inches today the front page of the sun spendemic which is a great headline 18 billion spending to help fight covid more health staff more gardi more teachers but the price of cigs and the price of petrol to go up the daily mail as always has a 19 page budget special with the big front page and on the echo twin threat budget there's pictures of Michael McGrath and Pascal Dunahoo on the front page. And as all the papers, all of the papers, have a lot of detail. You can spend your day reading them and uh, weeping, maybe. However, let's go to accountant Mary Power from Westborough Partners. Mary, good morning to you. Morning, PJ. How are you? Good. You've been running the rule across it for various groups. Let's look. Families, ordinary working families, what's in there? Um, I suppose by way of increase um, for anyone, we'll say on um, relatively low level POE income, there's actually very little, little or nothing. Um, 
there's a small bit of a, a change in one of the, the USC rates, but that's pretty much it. There are changes in social welfare, obviously. Um, kind of the usuals have gotten small increases. You're you're living alone, alone. Um, parents' benefit is being extended, um, etc. And the the earnings threshold for the one fa- one parent family payment um, is also being removed. So there's small social welfare changes. Mm. You could probably argue that for somebody with two low-level POE incomes coming into the house, that there's actually no upside. Um, whereas, as you just mentioned there in your intro, things like um, petrol costs, etc., have gone up since midnight last night. Yeah. Um, you know, home fuels are going to increase in March of next year. Um, so for POE workers, there's actually very little. Um, I suppose most of the... The supports really have been kind of aimed at the business sector um, and the hospitality sector in itself, um, but also across the board by way of the the COVID restrictions. Not so much hospitality workers, though, Mary, I'd say. No, hospitality business owners, yeah. If if you have two people, if you have a a mother and father both on a minimum wage or slightly better than minimum wage job and a couple of children trying to get them to school and stuff, there's not much in there for them. Nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing. Like the focus, I think the focus really, as expected, was on the business side of things. Um, And obviously because we have um, the Green Party are in government, there's obviously a lot of um, a lot of items in that area, such as increasing carbon tax and the new VRT um, bans and that kind of thing. But it's really the the COVID supports for the business sector um, is kind of the the overlying thing. Yeah, I'll get to that in a minute because it is there's quite a lot there. To be fair, there is. Uh, yeah, yeah. You yeah. know these rises in the living alone allowance and the fuel allowance. Is that straight away or March? Um, some of them are actually coming in straight away. One second there now, let me just have a quick look at this. Because um, that's the point I was making as it was opening up. They, they take at midnight. The diesel and petrol went up at midnight. The fags went up at midnight. But They do. Most of the increases in the social welfare are actually not kicking in until January, PJ. Right. Now, um, the, the, what you call it, the Christmas bonus, all right, is being paid out in December. Um, and there's been a, a kind of, I suppose, an improvement in the parameters to qualify for that, all right. So that's, that's pretty much the only thing, really, yeah. um, by way of social welfare benefits that's kicking in um, pre-Christmas. Yep. Everything else is really kicking in in the new year. There isn't much change welfare-wise in in, in any sense, it's other than a little bit of a bonus marginal. for the people on the pup. Yeah, yeah, that's about it, really. Um, it's kind of, I suppose, what else could apply to the normal household, really, I suppose, for anyone that has anyone in college. Um, there is um, a, a fund that's been put in place there that should give, um, again, it's, it's quite a modest amount. It's an amount of about €250 Euro per person. Um, so if you're in receipt of, say, the Susie grants, it'll be paid out by way of an increase on your grant or if you're paying your, your flat rate registration free fee with the college, um, it'll be a reduction on that. So I suppose that will apply to a lot of households. But again, that's very modest. €250 Euro isn't, isn't a lot of money. No, it's not. Let's look at the business sector because, to be fair, small business has really suffered in, yeah. in the pandemic. Will they be happy this morning, do you think, Mary? Um, I think the COVID restriction support scheme is going to make a lot of people happy. Um, like, that's a payment. It's an actual payment into your business bank account um, on a weekly basis. How does that work? So, it's basically based on um, your 2019 turnover. Um, so, if we're at level three or higher um, and your business has been either fully closed or 
effectively closed um, due to the level of restrictions whereby it doesn't make sense for you to open. It's an actual payment into your bank account where your trade has been significantly affected as a result of level three. So from what I can see at the moment, they're going to take your 2019 turnover. um, So let's say keep it simple your 2019 turnover um, was 520 grand for the year so your average weekly turnover on that basis is 10,000 right. they're going to make a payment based on a percentage of your last year's turnover up to a maximum of 5,000 euro per week so if I have a turnover from last year of say 10,000 euro per week on average they should be paying me 10% of that which would be a grand a week um, now you know an actual payment into the account is very, very beneficial for a lot of people. That is kicking in straight away. So that oh. is one of the things... So there'll be none of this waiting six weeks for it or waiting three you'll, months for you'll it? You'll be waiting for a payment, but it's effective straight away. So it's effective from, from midnight last night. Okay. And they're expecting the first payments will actually be paid out kind of mid-November, which isn't that long away. It's okay. a month away. Like a lot of the reliefs for businesses today, PJ, a lot of them are, apart from the wage subsidy scheme, they're supports that will kind of, I suppose, buffer up costs you might have to incur. This is really, apart from the restart grant earlier in the year, this is really one of the first, I suppose, payments that you're going to get into your account, um, apart from the wage subsidy scheme and the restart grant. So I think a lot of people will be happy with that. Now, I suppose, like everything, the devil is in the detail. Yeah. I don't know what what kind of criteria could kick you out of qualifying for it at this point in time. Um, but if it's as simple as it looks um, at this at this stage, um, I think a lot of people will welcome that. Obviously, the reduction in the VAT from the for the hospitality sector from thirteen and a half to nine will also be welcomed, and that's effective from the first of November. Um, so again, not immediate. Um, I suppose a lot of people will probably say, "Well, our September October." that liabilities will be still due in November and they'll still be based on the 13.5% yes, rate yes. if this rate is only effective. There's, the there's, no, there's no counting back on it. No, you have to pay no, it. No, yeah, yeah, it's yeah. effective 1 November. Okay. But again, I think that will be welcome. Um, and obviously that sector has been, has okay. been hit quite hard. Mary, I'll leave it there with you. And thanks very much for looking across it for us. That's Mary Power, uh, accountant and partner at Westborough Partners. Let's go to the first one of those sectors that we talked about. A sector that, according to the Echo, at least last night, reasonably happy. Paul Montgomery is at Clancy. Monty, good morning. Good morning, PJ. Happy? Well, I, I'm, I'm listening to Mary there. The, the, a, lot, a lot of the measures are, um, are going to be helpful. Obviously, the, the VAT and the, the rates and stuff none of it applies and the fact that you're not really trading at the moment so yeah. we, we haven't we're not going to benefit from from a lot from a lot of that you know but and definitely the um the, the payments that they're talking about you know as a percentage of your turnover to go into your account to help pay you know, for to the expenses that we're continually have with the businesses will certainly be helpful as well if whatever the detail of those work out per per venue i, I suppose pj that you know as i'm reflecting on it last night and today i mean I think we just have to get reopened. I mean, in some form or some capacity, because my my fear talking to some people today, I, I heard a commentary this morning that we wouldn't be we wouldn't be open this side of Christmas, you know, yeah. and that's 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 a real worry now. You know that they're saying that the minister, if he's bringing in um, a, a payment to cover people that are affected from level three, that that's a payment to to placate businesses that they may not even allow to reopen, which, you know, because I suppose a friend of mine said this morning, why would they open again in December, you know, and undo all the good work that's been done in October, November? And I, I, yeah. I probably 
realise that for the first time today, oh my God, that's actually probably a real possibility. Are, are you open at all, Paul, at the moment? I mean, are, have you, are you able to do any open air stuff? We we are, yeah. So so all the traders on Princess Street that that the the, the with the took part in the initiative from back in June that we got the seating on the streets. We said we'd you know for the sake of the street, the city, our own morale. We said we everyone said that keep open and get the fifteen people outside, and that has worked really well. Um, from a public perception point of view and a goodwill point of view, and those seats are busy, you know. So we are, like, we've let go 90 of our staff, you know. We've kept on to some um, a few that really, really, really wanted to work, and um, and obviously we disappoint most people who wanted to work. To be honest, you know, some students were probably happy, you know, that they could go back and some study. I mean, nobody was happy to be let go. Yeah. But, you know, we try to manage it as fairly as we could. So we are serving the 15 people outside. I mean, we'd love to be doing more people yeah. on our roof. If, 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 if as it may well out. happen, because NEFET meeting tomorrow, when I heard a member of yeah. NEFET, Dr. Favier, very concerned this morning on another radio show, very concerned that number th- or that level three might not be working. Would level four decimate you completely? No, I mean, level. we're at level four, level five, um, PJ. It doesn't really matter um, from in, in our in our industry with the business, you know, that, that the size and the scale of, of what we have. And, and that, that, that applies to most restaurants in the city centre and bars. Like, with, you know, like level three, level five makes no difference. I mean, right. it's a token. The, the, level, the level three thing is, is just a token. I suppose just a quick thing, PJ, there is, I don't see any reason why on a complete functional basis that we have 15 people now sitting outside from half past nine this morning outside um, Clancy's and Claire Nash is the same and Rossini's and all that. What's wrong with having 20 people inside or 50 people inside, even as a restaurant? And, you know, if there's a fear of the gathering and the social gatherings, why not ease it back next week and say, you know, from breakfast to lunchtime, you can have so many from lunchtime to six o'clock in the evening, so many, you know, just completely function. So if you're in shopping in the city centre or you're in at work or you you have an hour's break and people want to yeah. stay in the city and they want to come into the city to do their Christmas shopping people yeah. at the moment. The, the, the this is probably the argument that's being made, Paul. I leave it there for today because I want to stick with the budget. But th- this is the point that's been making. There are none of people like yourself, Monty, on Neffet or anything to do with Neffet, advising into Neffet. And, and that's, that's worrying a lot of business sectors. Paul Montgomery at Clancy's, thank you. 1850-715-996. James on WhatsApp. The money allocated to housing is a pittance. It looks big, but it has to cover the country. The total figure allocated would hardly clear the Cork City Council housing list. Money spent on housing creates a huge spin-off. And if you look at housing, I have it all written down here in front of me, they're going to build 9,500 social houses uh, and spend 558 million on HAP. But in actual fact, that means more money going into HAP, like more money going into landlords than is actually going in uh, to social houses. Kevin says the payment into business, how is that repaid? If the government comes calling in 2022 for the money paid now and your turnover doesn't match, then you're in serious trouble. That's a question that I'll be putting to Minister McGrath later this morning. People say, right, there's lovely money coming now. All this will be great. Putting money looks great. They're going to want it back. That's just how the world works. Kate says the rich are going to get richer anyway with each budget because the politicians always think of them. I am, however, delighted for the restaurants. Miriam, much the same for me, but I can't get over the failure on childcare. That has to be one of the worst problems at any time but so much more so now during the pandemic. Carmel, 
two fingers up to us rural dwellers. No transport system. And let's be honest, which of us can afford to upgrade to an electric car? Keith, I'm working for the moment and I don't have to worry about it, but the failure to redress the cut in PUP is a disgrace. So many people are struggling to meet rent and meet mortgages. And that's one of the things they didn't do. They claimed it would cost too much. It doesn't make sense. And again, I'll be putting that to Minister McGrath later on. They didn't restore the PUP. They've kept it at the various different levels. It would probably have cost them less to restore the PUP than they're spending in, in other areas. Another question. Minister Michael McGrath, the Minister of Public Expenditure, will join us between 11 and 12 on the opinion line. If you have a question, you can text or WhatsApp 83 396 More businesses next. For 20 minutes of the best music mix. Non-stop. And everything Cork. On Cork's 96 FM. I'll play Cork's best music mix. I'll bring you our daily Facebook question. And I'll also bring you the stars. Robert De Niro on lockdown. It's interesting. It's interesting. It's kind of like a, a science fiction movie, but it's real. Kyle Horan on Lewis Capaldi. First time in America, I just thought he was a lunatic. And Harry Styles on Harry Styles. So I love being in the studio now, kind of writing and working stuff out with everyone. I love that. I've always loved performing. I still very much do. Online, on your smart speaker, on the Quartz 96 FM app, and on FM. Ken Tobin. Weekdays from midday. With the White Rabbit Bar and Barbecue. A brand new look with the same great food and service. See whiterabbit.ie. Quartz 96 FM. It's Quartz Gold. Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Quartz. 96 FM. Just going through the various business supports. Uh, there's the rebate that we talked about, the up to €5,000 rebate when you have to close down due to three, four, or five level restrictions based on your turnover from this time last year. Mary was explaining that to us. There's a VAT on hospitality cut from 13.5% down to 9%. Commercial rates scrapped for the rest of 2020, which which can't be bad. Richard Jacob is down at Idaho. Hi, Richard. Morning, how are you? Good. You were happy, I think. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think for, in a way of keeping a lot of jobs going in the country in the short term, I think that they've done an awful lot. And how will it benefit you, for example? Um, well, the VAT won't make any difference at the moment, obviously, because we're closed. But as soon as we're back open... The way I look at that, that that cut is it's going to go some. Ooh, line just dropped there, Terry. We'll try try him again. Seeking seeking to get him back for me. Let's go to the health and welfare area. Parents benefit extended, illness benefit extended, living and loan allowance. Small change in that. Fuel allowances up three fifty a week, but nothing for the carers. Nothing worth talking about anyway. Brenda, good morning. Good morning to you. Not happy? No, not happy at all. Um, there's over 355,000 carers in Ireland and we save 10 billion a year for the government wow. by keeping our loved ones at home and safe and doing the best we can for them. And they've given us 150 euros um, in our carer support grant and we won't get that until June um, 21. That's like the respite, isn't it, that you get in June, is that it? Well, yeah, it, it's called actually the carer support grant, I think. And, um, you know, 
we never really use it for respite because we have so many bills and so many outgoings. We, 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 well, us as a family anyway, we put it straight back into Fiona. And I, I would say that most carers have so many bills and so many expenditures that, you know, we're counting the days until that grant comes that we can pay off a bill. You know, it's not... Um, it's not something that we we spend on ourselves even. You know, we haven't got that luxury, PJ. We haven't got spare yeah. cash like Family Carers Ireland. They did a survey recently. It was called the State of Caring Survey. And they found that 70% of carers, they actually find it hard to make ends even meet. Yeah. And 57% of us are in debt as a result of caring. Now, we are in debt. We have a huge loan for the finishing off of our extension. Um, we have a huge mortgage to pay every month, the same as everyone else. I gave up my job as a manager in a play school to care full-time for Fionn. Yeah. And I get €66 Euros a week carers allowance for that because quid. Trevor is working. Yeah, €66. Euros. I mean... The like people forget co- that, Brenda, and it, it's worth mentioning it again. You know, if you're not in that circle, you don't know how, how people yeah. live. Because yeah. Trevor works every hour God sends and we've talked before you and me because he yeah. works every hour God sends you get punished oh yeah we do yeah yeah like someone that's caring for a fully incapacitated child like our son he is 24 hour care seven days a week he gets medication at six in the morning seven at eight at 11 at half 11 at half one at two at five at half five at seven at half seven at half eight and 10 and 11 and all through the night you have to be up with him all the day that is long and all the night as well and that is what I get How is he by the way? He's not He's not very good at the moment now unfortunately right. we, um, he's suffering agitation a lot more and we're concerned about him and the hospital is concerned about him we were above all day yesterday trying to get an MRI and it actually failed right. we, couldn't, we couldn't sedate him And of course you're living in Possibly. the constant terror of getting Covid Oh, Jerusalem, yeah, sure, trying to, you know, trying to organise the MRI and try and get in and out safely. And there's just the constant fear of it, because if I get it or anyone in this house gets it, we lose the nursing support. Everything is pulled from us. So you're meant to suffer on with your COVID if you get it and care for the child as well. And there's there's nothing, there's no support there for us. There's no plan. I asked someone here that came into the house to me two weeks ago, I said, what happens um, if any of us get it? What, how will I cope? How will I mind Fionn if I'm thrown down sick with the COVID? And because, you know, I have the lupus as well. Yes. I have that worry. So I'm immunosuppressed. And I said, like, I might actually be in hospital and Trevor could be sick. You know, how will we care for Fionn? And I was told, oh, we look at that when it happens. Oh, no. I mean... But that's not good enough. That's not families. a plan. That'll yeah, take your sleep families. off you, Brenda. That'll take yeah, your sleep exactly. off. Yeah, exactly. Families like us, we need a plan. We need a backup plan. We have no respite, PJ. We have had no respite since February. Fionn's Respite House, a fantastic place in Charleville, um, through the fantastic St. Joseph's Foundation. They're brilliant. But the Respite House is being used as an isolation house for the residential service users. So... It's it's off limits for us or for any other families with complex medical child. We have no respite since February. Like it's uh, you poor old thing. You're not only are you living in fear, but if anyone gets it, if it even comes near the house, you lose 
all those supports that you desperately yeah. need. Plus, you got nothing yeah. yesterday. Plus, you're punished because Trevor worked hard. It's not yeah. fair, Brenda. Listen, it's be- really not fair. All the best to you and and Fionn and Trevor and everybody else that comes in there to help with that very special little boy. That's Brenda O'Connell Barry. 1850-715-996. Back quickly to Richard. I think we got him. You were reasonably happy. I Yeah, absolutely. Like Obviously, the, the vast is a big thing. As soon as we get reopened, it's going to be a big thing. Because like every other restaurant, we had to take out half our seats to keep the place safe. So when you lose half your seats, you lose half your revenue. But all of our fixed costs, same as every other restaurant, all of our fixed costs stayed the same. So at least this is going to make some bit of a gap. I don't see us making money, but it's going to keep a business safe and keep jobs safe. And I mean, in the the immediate future, that's all we we want. How worried are you about the consistent rise in cases? Are are you concerned that... Uh, I'm, I'm just hoping that it's because there's a time lag of whatever, about three weeks. I'm just hoping that it's just going back to how Cork was before we locked down when the streets were packed at night and everyone was out and I'm just hoping that in the, it'll start to reflect the fact that not nearly as many people are going out and we're all keeping more of a social distance wearing a mask and staying at home so hopefully okay. it'll start to drop Okay, we're hope, hoping that things will pick up it's looking in a winter of doom for a lot of people even with the provisions in the budget from yesterday for businesses Thank you Richard down at Idaho Coffee Now the live music sector and the live entertainment sector seems to, on the foot of it, or on the face of it at least, have done well yesterday. Fifty million for supports of live music and events. Uh, more money as well for the Arts Council. Down at the Everyman, Sean Kelly is CEO. Sean, good morning. Hi, PJ. Good morning. Are you a bit happier today than you were yesterday? Uh, yeah, of course. We're a bit happier. All supports are are welcome. Um, it was certainly good to see the Arts Council's budget increase from a total of 105 million last year to 130 million uh, this year. That's something that's been campaigned for for a long, long time, and a lot of people have put a lot of work into that. The National Campaign for the Arts and others. So that was that was certainly welcome. Obviously, we don't know how that's going to be distributed, and it'll be 2021 before anybody really sees the benefit to that. Yeah. But it is it is something we're certainly very happy with. You'd be dependent on it down at the Everyman, wouldn't you, for 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 a chunk of change? Uh, yeah, we are. I mean, we've talked about this before. Ninety-two percent of our income normally comes from ticket sales, um, and obviously that's completely um, been gone or diluted since March. So we're running one hundred percent of the business at the moment on eight percent of the income, which is the what comes from the local authority and the state, principally the Arts Council. So um, a significant increase with the for the Arts Council would be something we would hope to benefit from in twenty twenty one because it's really the Arts Council and donations. From the public that have kept us going up to now. All of your plans to reopen, even on a reduced scale, were scuppered. Um, any hope at this stage in getting back before Christmas? Um, yeah, well, we are still going to have a reopening tomorrow. Um, oh. There just won't be an, an audience in the theatre. Uh, yeah, we had a part of our programme was uh, Play It By Ear, whereby yeah. what was happening in the auditorium would also be broadcast online. So you're still uh, going to do that? Yeah, oh, and the radio play. Yeah, so we'll, we'll still have the, the cast for Marion on stage tomorrow night. Um, there just won't be any audience in the auditorium, which will be a very strange experience for their director and cast, but they've been fantastic about it, and our whole team have been fantastic. Um, so there will, we will still have um, an audience and just be in their homes listening to something, which will be a new departure for us. For us. But we, 
we thought it was really important to to try and to not give up until it's absolutely impossible to continue. So we, it's really important that we continue to provide employment where possible for local artists and to still serve okay. our Cork audiences as much as we can. Good luck to everybody involved in that and to everybody at the Everyman and indeed in the arts in general. Thank you, Sean, CEO of the Everyman. 1850-715-996. Let's look at an ordinary working family with someone going to college. We'll do that next. The Cork Diary. On Cork's 96 FM. A major international conference on the future of disability and the arts will be taking place online on the 14th and 15th of October. The online event will gather advocates, experts, policymakers, service users and many more to discuss the areas of inclusion, differing abilities, arts and culture. For more information and to register for free, check out cope-foundation.ie If you have an event you would like mentioned, email corkdiary at 96fm.ie This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan Text or WhatsApp now 083-396-9696 On Cork's 96FM Let's go through the education uh, budget, 300 new teaching posts, 990 new SNAs, 2 billion being spent on that. Money to help students adapt to online learning. That's interesting. Taxes, uh, no real changes in tax USC or PRSI. There's a small change in one of the USI ceilings, but really it'll be nothing to most people. Carbon tax, like I said, petrol and diesel went up midnight. Cigarettes went up 50 cents for 20. They're 14 quid. Why anyone bothers to smoke when it's 14 quid odd for 20? I have no idea. VRT, car tax, all going to change. Your old car, that old, reliable, old jalopy that's been getting you around and struggling through the NCT since God knows when. That's going to cost you a lot more to run in 2021. Kevin, good morning. It's been a while, sir. Morning, PJ. How are you keeping, man? Not, you well? I'm all right. I'm all right. Right. You're presently on a pup. No, I'm not, actually. Are I you was. not? I was okay. up until uh, a few months ago. Uh, but no, I haven't worked since the start of COVID, really. And the last round of uh, supports that business had, my employer didn't qualify because he wasn't hit hard enough. So, unfortunately, it's like the, with the budget yesterday, the people who with the business that are going to need the business supports as long as you've got a turnover that's not above 80% you're you're really going to hurt so if you you've only lost half of your income you're not going to get any any help at all and that was the case with my my employer he couldn't afford to keep me on right and um but he couldn't afford to close either so he just carried on working by himself to clear the debts that he that he was incurring right and clear the suppliers' bills that were coming in from pre-COVID. And in the meantime, the motor industry has just died to death. You know, people aren't getting their car fixed now unless they absolutely have to, unless things are falling apart. Mm. And the, there's no, there was no incentives yesterday for people to change their cars. Like, I was expecting to see a VAT discount on electric cars or zero uh, road tax on electric vehicles anything to get people to change over but there was nothing like that it was just a punishment for anyone who can't afford to change their car like i'm looking at our jalopy outside now it's an 06 toyota corolla and i can't afford to change it it's got to last it's got to drive until it dies and it's a 1.4 petrol that's going to cost me more to run but living where i live 
there is no buses, so it's just got to last. Yeah. yeah. You know, the kids get help. Right, I've got two lads now in uni, so... Two? Yeah. Oh, well, God bless the spirit, yeah. Well, the thing is, my eldest was... She's in third year now, and she's got a flat... She's living in Limerick, and my son started at LIT, so he moved in with her. And within two, a week, as soon as they went into level three, all of LIT's classes are gone online now. Mm. So, you know, the 250 that he's going to get, yeah, it's nice, it's happy days. It's not going to buy anything. He won't buy a laptop, won't no, buy any kind of a decent laptop. No, no. You might get a printer out of it and a couple of ink cartridges. Might buy a half-decent tablet for himself. Yeah, That's well, it, yeah. at the end of the day, the jobs that, he, that, they, that he would need to top up his income to be able to afford that to live and pay rent and food and what have you were in the restaurant trade supermarkets the, the, the shops like working in the Crescent you know that kind of stuff they're gone they don't exist because people who are in those jobs are holding on to them for dear life they're not moving yeah. uh, so I was hoping that the Susie Grant would be increased over a sustained period of time until this is over but that didn't happen I mean he'll they'll plot on between them but at the end of the day, it's hard for students. The, mm. the illusion the students are what, having. What's the rent that, like on the place they're staying? Um, this, it's eleven fifty a month for a flat on the dock road. Uh, it's two bed flat. They're sharing between three of them. So between the three of them, they're they're splitting the rent evenly. I mean, they're lucky they're brother and sister because my eldest one is working and she takes care of him. But she she tops off his his extra rent and what have you. All he's got to do is clean the flat, which is, uh, you know, if you've seen the teenage boys having to clean the, clean the flat. I can hear you carefully choosing yeah. your words. Though. Yeah, I'm very selective about what I say, but miracles do happen, and they happen sometimes in Limerick. <laughs> you know? But look, this budget, for this, I mean, the thing is, last year and the year before, every year you've been doing radio shows after a budget, you've been qu we've been talking about an extra billion in spending, an extra yeah. billion and a half in spending, split between everybody and everyone gets crumbs from the table. This time it's 18 billion quid. And you hear the, fir the first line I heard yesterday is core rates for, um, core rates for social welfare is frozen. Mm. That's a hark back to the times in recession. Mm. You know, so basically anyone who's on a state pension, anyone who's on a fixed income has an effective pay cut, even if inflation is only like 0.5 of a percent. Okay. With everything else is factored into it, it's an effective pay cut. I mean, yeah, you can mitigate it with fuel allowances and stuff like that. But at the end of the day, it's no one's better off. And as you know, there's an extra few there's an extra few hospital beds that were desperately needed. There was there's extra teachers and extra SNAs. That's great. That's fantastic. All needed to be done. Yeah. There's no broadband infrastructure. Extra spending that yeah. I can see. There's no. And, and not a lot on intensive care beds either, seeing as you mentioned six, hospitals. Six, 61 new ICU beds, that's going to need a lot of square footage in hospitals. Yeah. Where, where is that going to be built? Where, where, where do they go? Where do they go? I think it could have been worse. Look, it's 18 billion. It's a lot of money being pumped in. And we were in a good footing before COVID to be able to borrow this kind of money, which is fine. Post-Brexit, nobody knows what's going to happen. The fact they're holding back a few, few billion, four and a half, five billion... For that is good. We'll see how that pans out. But the thing is, with any budget, doesn't matter who it is or what it is, give it two days, give it three days, and then you will see exactly where things are. When businesses start applying for this stuff, what kind of red tape do they have to go to their accountants to get stuff to get their figures verified? Do Lock of hair or a DNA sample. I exactly. Know. Yeah. We'll yeah. know in yeah. a week. We'll know in a week 
or yeah. two weeks what this is like day-to-day running. Yesterday was low of the headlines. Today, tomorrow, and the next day, we'll flush out the detail, and okay. then we'll all know where we all are. All right, Kevin, always good to talk to you. Thanks a million. 1850-715-996. I have three students in college, two doing masters, one in second year. Are they all entitled to the 250, says Deirdre. According to what we can find, the Irish Times have a very good piece on it. They are. They are all entitled to the 250. Kate says, with the electric cars, will they ever just bring down the price and people might go and actually buy them? The prices are extortionate. Uh, morning, PJ. I hope the people who choose not to wear a mask are listening to your previous corner caller. I think this is Brenda, uh, who's caring for her son as a home carer. Myself, I plead with everyone to wear their mask, protect the vulnerable and protect their carers. Tom says, yesterday's budget was for the business community who, when things are normal, can make a fortune from ordinary people who, along with the sick and the poor, get nothing at all. Marie can't understand why they did nothing for the elderly. If you have a particular question that you'd like us to put to the Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, he'd be on air with me between 11 and 12 today. So text or WhatsApp your question to 083 396 96 96. Indeed, pop in an email to opinion at 96fm.ie. Now, this is a bizarre story. Um, We've heard of Golfgate, of course. Now we have Zoomgate. The TD, who took a Zoom call in his car while he was driving. He would be a Corkman, wouldn't he? Fergal Blaney is political correspondent of the Daily Mirror. Fergal, good morning. Good morning, PJ. How what, are you? What happened with James O'Connor? Ah, oh, well, James O'Connor, uh, your young, your young Tyro from Cork East, baby uh, of the baby, house, yeah, yeah, baby of the house. He was only twenty-two and he was elected. Just gone twenty-three now. Uh, he he seemed to have had a bit of a lapse, or he mightn't been aware of uh, how the Guardian are looking into a new phenomenon called Zoom driving. So basically, as you probably know, the parliamentary party meeting of all the big parties, they have a meeting every week where they all get together. But nowadays, they can't get together in the basement of Leinster House. They have to have conference call meetings. And that often takes place via Zoom or via Google Meets or whatever platform they want to use. And you normally see the scenes of people in their sitting rooms and with strange backdrops. But uh, I was forward a video from one Fianna Fáil TD that showed a very unusual backdrop. And it was James O'Connor at the wheel of his car. Hang on, Fianna Fáil TD sent you this? Uh, well, Fianna Fáil source, shall we say. Okay. Yeah, so it was, it was from the Fianna Fáil Zoom, Zoom call, shall we say. It's, it's a genuine video. I had to check it out. Right, OK. But, right. Yeah, but anyway, that's besides the point. It was verified, and James O'Connor himself verified that it was true that he was at the wheel of the car taking part, participating in the Zoom call uh, briefly. But um, I subsequently got on to the Gardaí, and they're not happy with this sort of thing. Um, it's a new technology, so it doesn't exist as an offence in its own right. There's nothing that says if you're caught Zoom driving, you know, you can be put off the road. Or was he like doing that. it on his mobile phone? He was doing it on his mobile phone, and his mobile phone is in a cradle. But even when you are on your ordinary phone in a cradle, the Guardian take a dim view of this. They say that, and I quote them, it would be an offence under due care and detention if they wanted to pursue it. And as one guard put it to me, I said, Asher, what's wrong if you're, you're just talking into it and just looking at it? And he said, well, it would be like someone on the phone playing a computer game. Your eyes wouldn't be on the road all the time. 
So that's that's what he was um, that's what he was caught with basically, and the the story has got legs. It, it's travelled around the world, as you say. You like I'm, I'm hearing here. I'm seeing on my screen. It was in an, a newspaper in Afghanistan. Yeah, I couldn't I couldn't read that obviously because it was in Arabic. But there was a couple of outlets in the in the Far East, the Middle East, picked it up as well. And of course, it was on um, a couple of websites over in New York and LA as well. So James O'Connor, uh, he's become a little bit famous or infamous. He, he, Oh, anyway. He made headlines. He's been making headlines actually since he got elected, but he didn't plan on these ones. I mean, what could happen to him? Could he face some kind of censure from the party or what? Well, the party, the party, I think, are willing unofficially to draw a line under this. He's a young TD. Uh, he's made a mistake. He's very well respected, obviously, in Cork. You'll know that there from, from your listeners. And I think he'll be given a chance here. Uh, the Gardaí have just given their advice on it, and I think they're in, they're in a new place here. Where I think they're happy enough for it to be highlighted that uh, a sort of a down with this sort of thing message would need to be sent out because it's it's just not safe, really. If you and anything official from HQ? From HQ, yeah, they they passed on James O'Connor's message as such to me, and they said he was driving for a very short period, that he was on it for a few minutes, and that he was driving and he was driving in Dublin, and that he continued the Zoom call when he got back to his office. And that makes that's it okay. Official line. Yeah, that's their official line. So, And that was conveyed to them by James. So yeah. they're, they're sticking with that one. Yeah, it was on the telly in Afghanistan as well. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> yeah, it was syndicated actually. Our picture desk in mirror asked if we could, if we could ask me if we could spell it around and I said no problem. Quickly, Fergal, yeah. um, response politically to the budget. You know, a lot yeah. of money spent and, you know, even the ones on the hard left were saying last night, how are we going to pay all this back? How are we going to afford all this? How are we going to afford all this? Well, it's on, it's on the never-never, I suppose. It's that great big credit card in the sky. If you put it in context, so this was around £20 billion that we're going to be over over, over in our hock for as such. That makes our overall debt £219 billion. So we're always going to be paying back debts. But it's, it, it is a kick of a can down the road. Uh, this £18 billion, to be precise, is going to be have to paid off in a few years' time. And there was no tax hikes this year. That would normally be a way to claw back a few billion from something like this, where you'd hit everybody with a small little hike. But um, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil promised that there'd be no tax hikes, income tax hikes, and we've seen, we've seen that. But I suppose just to, to, to bring you some of the... As it's floating on to today, some of the criticisms, if you like, from the opposition, it was very hard for them to pick holes in it yesterday because it was a, it was a late, late show budget. It was one for everyone in the audience. Yeah. But as the night progressed, um, there was a big lacuna, there was a big loophole where there didn't seem to be anything done for childcare. And that press conference is actually on today, the Minister for Children, Roderick O'Gorman. Uh, so he's going to try and outline how he will help out parents who, let's face it, childcare is like a second mortgage or second rent to some people, how uh, how they're going to afford it as money is going down. And the care the sector pandemic. as well. And the care sector and the people who work in the care sector. You know, it's a, it's, a, it's a whole huge, huge chunk of the economy that a lot of people have started to notice last night lately on the couple of call-in shows and a couple of the panel shows on this morning. And the fact that Roger Gorman has his conference today it kind of gives that one a bit of momentum. Uh, I suppose if you want to see another one of the big ones was missed out, a lot of people would be very disappointed that the pandemic unemployment 
uh, payments remained at 300. Yeah. Many people hoped that would go back to 350. There's no end to this pandemic in sight. There's no end to the hardship that people are going to be feeling in the near future. Mm. Yeah, so kind of it, w- it was grand when it arrived, but yeah. div- the devil is in the detail. As my caller Kevin said earlier on, it's a couple of days into it that you start, oh, there's, oh, look at the small print and what that it says. Is. Yeah, because, well, you're, just, you're just hit with a tsunami of figures on day one. And even the experts, even the opposition spokesmen and finance, it takes time for them to dig into the, the detail. I have the budget documents here in front of me, and it's like an old encyclopedia. There's a good few hundred pages in it. Most of it is figures and it's tables, and it takes time to go through them. And when you hear huge figures being thrown at you, like 600 new Gardaí, 600 new teachers, 900 new special needs assistants, 10,000 social loans, 25 billion for the social protection, which basically is the money that's handed out and benefits all over the country. Just mind-boggling. So it does take a day or two for that to sink in and for people to start seeing the little, the little kind of finer details that might have been missed by government and uh, that might be picked up now in the today, tomorrow, and maybe in the following days from the opposition. Okay, leave it there for now. Thank you very much, Fergal Blaney from the Irish Daily Mirror, political correspondent, Zoomgate. We did ask James O'Connor if he'd care to comment, uh, preferably on a phone, sitting down at a table and not on Zoom in his car. Uh, he didn't respond. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. 1857-15996, the number, the text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. Catch us on Twitter at OpinionLine96 with the hashtag OL96. And of course you can message us anytime you like through the Corks 96FM Facebook page. But please do mark your messages for the attention of the Opinion Line. Just makes them so much easier to find. I will be coming back to budget and budgetary matters later on between 11 and 12 as I said Minister for Public Expenditure uh, Michael McGrath Corkman Michael McGrath will be joining us on the show if you have a question that you want me to put to him about something that happened yesterday or something that didn't happen yesterday someone he gave money to or someone he didn't give money to you can text or whatsapp those questions to 083 396 9696. Someone's asking me, the lads on the proc are discussing what PJ actually thinks of the budget. Actually, I don't know. The budget has absolutely zero effect on me whatsoever. I don't smoke. My point that I do enjoy, or can't get at the moment, but that's not gone up at all. Yes, the cost of driving will go up a little bit for me, unfortunately. And But otherwise, myself and Queen Bee, and generally our house, has been quite lucky. And we've been quite okay through the pandemic, other than being bored and sick of the sight of each other <laughs> at this stage. We're okay. And and therefore, the budget really, it didn't owe us anything. It really didn't. I'd just like to see other people's jobs saved uh, and other people's businesses saved. I would like to see a bit more for the carers. That was a big mistake. I, I you know, Other than that, didn't really bother me too much. 1850-715-996. So we'll come back to it all later but let's move to COVID-19 because that came up in the context of the budget of course it did so much of this budget was to aid the COVID-19 situation and to try to compensate for the effects of the pandemic and the worry now the real worry and I heard Dr. Mary Favier who's the uh, GP advisor to NEFET 
uh, on another radio programme this morning. She's very concerned now, Cork Doctor Mary Favier, that, look, this Neville 3 might not be working. Dr Tony Holohan is saying it might not be working. That's, we, we may have to step up a grade to level four. Let's look at the numbers as we frequently do. Nationally yesterday, 811 new cases. Our total number now, 44,159. Three more people died. And total deaths now, 1,830. In Cork, over the last 14 days, this statistic is kind of scary. That's, it really is kind of scary. Over the last 14 days, up to October 13th, with 1,122 cases. 1,122 cases. We've had 807 in the last seven days alone. That gives us a case number per 100,000 population in Cork now of 224, which is rather high. Back a month to September. This is why it's so worrying. In September on the 13th, we had 47 for the previous 14 days. In August, it was 25. July 13th, it was 14. June 13th, it was 19. And back in May, May 13th, as we were just about to come out of the first lockdown, it was 102. But in the last 14 days in Cork, we have had 1,122 cases. 224 cases per 100,000 of us. These are worrying numbers. Dr. Neve Lynch, good morning. Hello, PJ, how are you? I'm all right. They are worrying numbers, aren't they? You've been trying to rally people through your social media because, you know, to to coin a much overused phrase, it's in our hands where we go from here. Uh, Yeah, I mean, look, we've known what to do for months. Uh, You know, we've known about social distancing, about masks, about limiting your contacts and isolating if you haven't been well. Um... That horse, I think, has bolted now. Uh, I think that we have to change tack a little bit. So I think we need to stop acting as if we're trying to avoid catching COVID-19 and start acting as if we're trying to avoid passing it on to somebody else. We, I, With the numbers we have now, I think we have to work from an assumption that we may have it ourselves. How did it shoot up from 47 to 11.22 in a month? Well, that's just the, the the way it goes. You know, I I think I spoke to you before about the R naught being two. Um, so that means sort of every every one person passes it on to two people, which means you have exponential growth. And uh, at the time that I tweeted about that, uh, we were at about you know half of what we are now. So that's that's it's behaving um, the way it would if people are not adhering to the to the guidelines. I suppose it's important to point out, Neve, and we always do. You know, most of these people, the majority of them, would be absolutely fine. A, a huge number of them will have no symptoms at all, at all. Yeah. But some of them will get very sick. Some of them might even die. Some of them will end up in intensive care. And some of them will be sick for months on end. And it's the, it's the unpredictability of it, isn't it? You don't know who is going to have a bad outcome here. No. And I think really looking back at March and April when the numbers in hospital were high and we had, you know, a certain number of cases that we knew of in the community, I think we were probably only seeing the tip of the iceberg. If you look at the numbers we have now versus the hospitalizations and the numbers in ICU, we seem to have much higher numbers with currently relatively low numbers in hospitals. But that will start to climb. So there's sort of a two-week lag with everything. So if you remember my, my tweet about 
us needing to cop on when yeah. the numbers were like something like 50, you know, yes. which seems like a, a dream number now. Um, you know, so what I said then was what we do now plays out in two weeks' time. But when people are diagnosed with COVID, the way it's going to go for them takes about two weeks to play out as well. Yeah. So each one of the 141 new cases that were diagnosed yesterday could go either way in the next uh, two weeks. And like you say, the vast majority of them uh, will be absolutely fine. But I think we like we have to look at it in, in a couple of different terms. Number one, if you get COVID and you're absolutely fine, but you give COVID to a loved one who has an underlying condition or vulnerability, you're going to have to live with that for the rest of your life. So that's why I'm saying act like you don't want to give anybody else COVID. The other thing is, you know, in a workplace... For example, me, if I get COVID, then, you know, I really don't obviously want to pass it on to anybody else, especially my patients and especially my colleagues. Because if I have COVID as a doctor, I may I may have passed it on to a nurse. Then we're both out for two weeks. That greatly inconveniences our patients. And that also has an effect on the health service, because not only are you ha- running a health service that's a threat of being overwhelmed, but you're also now beginning to see the numbers of infections in healthcare settings start to rise again. Um, so, you know, healthcare workers have to be extra careful, but anybody who works in an office has to be careful. You know, in my office, we had a, a shared area where we were making teas and coffees and stuff like that. We've gotten rid of that because, you know, everybody's handling the same stuff and, you know, washing their hands in the same sink and so on. So we've just gotten rid of that. So everybody has to look at themselves and say, I might have COVID, I might pass it on. What are the consequences of me doing that, even if I'm fine? Something that you hear a lot of or see a lot of on social media, and you're fairly active there, so I'm sure you've come across it as well, is people saying, I don't mind the numbers. Look at the hospitals. The hospitals are nothing like they were in March. Like you make the point, they are nothing like they were in March yet. But Mm. But the other thing is, in March and April, at the height of this, we effectively shut down everything but emergency departments and COVID care. We're now trying to keep other people well who have nothing to do with COVID. So we're, are we at the point yet where the number of hospitalizations, Neve, is affecting non-COVID care? Not quite yet. Now, I don't know if you follow um, Karina Sadler, who's the infectious diseases yeah. consultant in Cork. She So up until like a week ago, she wasn't sounding any alarm bells. Now, she's completely at the cold face over there in CUH. Now, uh, she's like the canary in the mine and she's literally tweeting furiously, you know. Um, so there are a lot of concerned uh, messages coming from her and from other colleagues of mine who are working uh, in that area over in uh, in the CUH. You know, they're beginning to get worried. They're starting to see the increase in hospitalizations. Now, the numbers in ICU are nothing like they were back no. in March. But again, you have to say yes because we don't know how those people who went to hospital are going to do. Are they going to have an uncomplicated course like uh, President Trump <laughs> or are they going to end up, you know, deteriorating and needing intensive care? Yeah, and it's, it's the unpredictability of it. So yeah. adv- advice, Neve behave ourselves basically yeah cop on again you know that's you know i keep saying it but and you know i like to be fair like you say i'm trying to rally people because we've only had a week and a bit at level three yeah um you know like all of these numbers that are coming through are not from the weeks that we've been in level three they've been from the weeks we were at level two so they're sort of an overhang from pre more extreme measures so we do have to give it time. Now, I know Neffet will be, I think, meeting tomorrow, tomorrow and discussing yeah. the sort of the national situation. The border counties are 
in really bad trouble. Like if you look at their, like we're at, in Cork South Central, which has the highest rates, we're at about 240 per 100,000. They're up in the 300s. Yeah. So like they really are in trouble. Um, and that's where you're going to see, like, you know, the, the, you know, one of the hospitals in Northern Ireland last night at the Galvin has become overwhelmed with COVID patients in intensive care. Um, so, you know, there's such permeability of the border there, you would have to worry that that's going to start happening in the hospitals in the border counties as well. So whether that will then necessitate a complete national lockdown or whether it will be more nuanced around the border counties, we'll have to wait and see. Okay, well, that, that, that regular NEFED meeting is tomorrow and they'll no doubt issue a recommendation after it. Neve, thank you very much. That's Dr. Neve Lynch. She's a paediatrician at the Bonds. She was the person who coined one of my favourite phrases uh, with regard to wearing masks. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. And if you think about it like that, and if you have a half-decent brain in your head with three functioning cells in it, just wear your mask. And don't be making excuses to me. Just put on your blasted mask when you're going to the shop. Just, or anywhere that you... If you're asked to wear one, wear them. Wear, wear one. My mask protects you. Your mask protects me. 1850 Speaking of COVID, uh, Skullvreda in Crosshaven has closed uh, due to staff self-isolating. There's been a case or two down there and obviously staff that come in contact have to self-isolate until such time as tests are carried out and all that. Uh, and we'll be talking to the principal, Seamus O'Connor, on the show tomorrow. All right. 1850 I also got my hands in the last couple of days on a very useful document. Well, don't flip and have it to hand in studio here now, but I'll, I'll get it for tomorrow. It's a very, very useful document from the HSE on how to class isolation and restriction and who needs to do what if you come in contact with a case, if you're a close contact, if you're a... We've, I've got that chart. I'll bring it in tomorrow. It is very interesting. 1850 715 Tom says, what worries me is when the whole health system is choked up with real and suspected COVID in December and January and you have all the people who get other illnesses from, from mold, mold, cold and cold weather and Christmas excess. I genuinely don't think we can cope. There was a piece in one of the papers, Fergal sent it on to me yesterday, a piece in one of the papers uh, that they now think, they now take that the flu vaccine, if you get the flu vaccine, that it might offer you some resistance to COVID or to the worst effects of COVID. Now, it's, it's, a, it's interesting science when you read into it. There's already a rush on the flu vaccine, as we discovered yesterday with Dr. Mike down in East Cork. But it's even more important to try to get your flu vaccine, if, if particularly if you're a vulnerable group. There's loads of stories in all the papers, but that's a particularly good one. In light of current case numbers, I think Dr. Holohan was right two weeks ago calling for stronger measures only to be lambasted by Leah Varadkar. Becky says we're no further than we were six months ago. The answer is lockdown. Not that we have to live with it. It's not living. And for fear of being lynched, says this WhatsApp message, please don't give out my name. The fact is, since hospitality and school opened, the virus has gotten out of control. We all know that, that not, and that not everyone is following the restrictions. The only way to put our lives out of risk is a four-week lockdown. We just have to suck it up. I don't want lockdown. I've never wanted lockdown. But is it inevitable? It's only time will tell. 
Only time will tell. 1850-715-996. Back to the budget. I'm going through the various elements of it uh, throughout the morning as we take the relevant calls. There was a €50 million announced for support of the live music and live events industry. And also that people on a COVID payment who are self-employed can earn an extra couple of bob per month without losing their COVID. Now, that would bring in a lot of musicians who are out of work since all of this started, plus the support for live music and the events. They'd probably benefit from that too. General feeling among them uh, last night, though, among the musicians I know, was not a lot really, not very impressed. Owen Murphy from the Buchels Band. Owen, good morning. Morning, PJ. Your feelings, having read over it now? Very, very, very disappointing, PJ. You know, um, I suppose to start with the, the 50 million that's been given for arts and entertainment, we're not going to see a cent of that. That goes to theatres, painters, poets, orchestras, you know, what I suppose the high arts, you know, mm. um, us guys that work in pubs, weddings, uh, corporate events won't won't see a cent of it, you know. Um, How do you make that out? Because it's going to be distributed through the Arts Council um, who represent their people, you know. The the fund the already the already funded sector, you know. Yeah. Um like Catherine Martin last night tweeted congratulating herself for securing eight securing eight million for the Symphony Orchestra. Um you know, calling them the finest musicians in Ireland while forgetting about the guys that are working every single week. You know, the guys the, the people that play to the fewest get the most. Yeah. Remind me we're coming to the back end, of course, now of what would be high season for the Buchels, or indeed any band like you. So, in in a typical high season, how many gigs would you and the lads do? You could be talking during from May to the end of September. You could be talking four to five nights a week. Right. You know, um, depending. I mean. You know, some of us are versatile. Some of us play 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 with the band during the weekends for weddings, functions, festivals, and during the week you'll find us in Kinsale or Killarney or Cove. You know, um, or Blarney or places. You know, we're actually an integral part of the tourist industry. Yeah. Now the tourist industry was given a VAT rate yesterday of nine percent, but we're not included in that. Yeah. We're still classed as a luxury item, so. How many gigs have you done on since, say, April? Since April, mm-hmm. uh, four, four weddings. Four weddings. Yeah. And of course, a lot of you, like you said, the, the, the more versatile musicians and some fellas, you, you, you wonder what is it they can't play. They also are going to miss out on a massive earner, the jazz, the jazz trail. Absolutely. Absolutely. But you see, Peter, the single biggest problem now that they've actually put in our way is this limit of 480. Explain that for me. Okay, so PJ, at the moment, if you, with the new with the new restrictions, first of all, we were given back in September, we were given a guarantee of sporadic, that we could take sporadic work and claim, uh, and put it down as an earning next year in our accounts. 
which was fine. And, you know, we'd be taxed on it and everything would be grand. But now they've put a stipulation that we can't earn more than 480. Now, if you do one, if, for instance, a band like mine does one wedding a month, mm-hmm. I'll turn over a lot more than 180. It doesn't mean I take home it. Yeah. Or sorry, 480. It doesn't mean I take, I take that home. Mm-hmm. It's a turnover. The, biz, the, the costs of running our bands are very, very high. You know, our advertising costs are they're just crazy. Insurance is crazy. Yeah. These things have to be all paid for before we take a cent home. I suppose probably people should understand, like most lads in a professional band like, like the Bucals or, or many others out there, you decide at the start of the season, right, lads, we're going to take a wage out of this. Yeah. We'll either do it yeah. by the night or by the week. We take a wage out of it. You know, working seven, seven nights a week doesn't mean we all become millionaires. We take a wage out of it. The rest goes into investment in the band, investment in the gear. Absolutely. You know, I have a van outside the door at the moment that I bought in February mm. that has done no mileage. You yeah. know, that has to be paid for. The banks came back last month. They're taking our mortgages now and they're taking our loan repayments now again. And... Like, I know bands now that are considered... They're basically left with three choices because of this 480 limit. They either take the 480... Mm. Or take... If a band loses... If a band earns 500 quid... Yes. If an individual earns 500 euros... They either lose the pop and take the 500 euros, which means they're down 700 a month. They cancel the wedding, leaving a bride and groom down... Or they go into the black market. No, PJ, I'm not going to say what option they take, but I think everyone will know what option they have. Oh, yeah. To take. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's so short sighted of the government. There are bands there that want to want to declare tax, want to declare, want, want to want to pay that, but because of the rate, it's impossible. Yeah. You know, and 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 this is money that would actually go into the exchequer. So the short sightedness of this is just ludicrous, mm. you know, and we are still left with nothing. We've gained absolutely nothing. In fact, we're going to lo- we, we, we could end up potentially losing our PUP because we're not going to let brides down. Yeah. And you people know? are coming back now having cancelled loads of weddings in March, April, May, June. Yeah. They're coming back now, they're looking at new dates. Yeah, I mean, look, people are looking at, uh, you know, at January, February, March now, you know. Um, they're, 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 a lot of people have cancelled twice and they're saying, right, whether it's 25 people or 50 people, we're going to get married and we're going to have a band and we're still going to do it. Mm. But our hand is forced now. How do we accept a wedding? One, one wedding a month now. This isn't, it's not money that will ever, like if I do, if I do one wedding a month, I don't see a cent of that. Mm. That's gone to the insurance. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. 
Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. company, that's gone to Google. It's gone to Facebook for advertising. You know? Mm. Um, like they introduced the business support scheme yesterday. And it's very admirable. Mm. But... Why aren't all businesses included? Again, there's a stipulation that you must have a commercial premises and pay rates. Mm. And this was the same with the restart grant. So businesses that opened up for three or four weeks, they got 15 grand. They got three top-ups on the restart grant. Mm. We restarted. We done four weddings. We didn't get a cent. Yeah. You know? There, there are those who would say, Owen, that look, like it or not, we're not going to get back to a normal entertainment business like we knew until we have a vaccine or we have a cure or something else happens and that maybe it might be time for some fellas to just retrain or go back to what you used to do before you were a musician. Yeah, PJ, I mean, we've, we've, we've heard that from, 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 from a lot of sources, um, including the, the UK government only last week, you know. Okay, but they bought out heads. That was ridiculous. That was, that, was, that, was, that was disgraceful. You know, to asking a ballerina to retrain to be, uh, to, 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 to be a cyber specialist. Um, you know, look, PJ, we, we've invested an awful lot all, over the years in our businesses and our skills. And our industry is ready to bounce back the day the restrictions are over. You know, we have bookings two or three years ahead. So our businesses are completely and utterly viable. Yeah. You know, um, look, we don't know where the, 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 this virus is going. Um, but in all honesty, if it's there in two years' time, the whole scenario has changed for everybody anyway. Yeah. You know, but what we were, we're asking for is something to sustain us until hopefully next summer because we're ready to hit the road running the minute we're allowed the business is there the work is there yeah. you know the country, there's, there's money in the country yeah. an awful lot of people were working from home during the pandemic and didn't spend a penny they're ready to go out and party once they're allowed and yeah. they have the money to do so yeah. you know so we need something to just sustain our businesses like and, and you know PJ we're not asking for anything special we're looking for the same grants and the same support as every other business as the hospitality industry the tourist industry mm. you know it's it, we're, not, we're not looking for handouts but I mean a 9% VAT rate on, tour, uh, on the tourist industry it's fantastic but we're part of that industry. I mean, you walk into Cork Airport, 
and you look at the first picture you see is a bunch of musicians and I know every musician in that picture yeah I know you most know, of them as well I know the picture the Oliver yeah. Plunkett yeah. on Patrick's Day and they play music and that's advertising tourism you know mm. alright Owen, I, I, all I can say, my friend, is I wish you well. And I know so many more like you who are just struggling to get through these few months, doing their level best online and alternative kinds of ways of selling their wares. And it's, it's, not, the, it's not the same. So, uh, you know, we're thinking, of, thinking about you, dude. That's Owen Murphy from the Buchels. And many other musicians like him uh, feel very left down yesterday. Uh, huh. The only people you leave on the air are people who are taking... And looking for money off the state. I didn't get anything off the budget, but I know times are very hard. Why don't you ask for people happy with the budget? We had them. We had them, caller. In the very first hour of the show, I don't know if you were listening. Uh, the Richard down in Idaho, happy. Paul Montgomery, Clancy's, happy. A lot of people happy. A lot of people in the business sector, happy. But then you've got Owen and his mates who haven't worked in a viable business haven't worked since March. They're not happy. They're entitled to be not happy. Kevin, concerned. Um, family, he's working himself, well, he's off work himself at the moment due to the pandemic, couple of kids in college. He's just about getting there. Just about getting there. If anybody is ecstatically happy with this, I'd be delighted to talk to them and have them tell me why they're ecstatically happy. And no, I won't fight with them. I won't. Because like I said, I'm completely middle ground on it. I didn't benefit or lose in any way. Neither did I deserve to benefit in any way because we've been okay, my family. Thanks very much. We've been lucky that way. This is Court's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850-715-996. On Court's 96FM. See the news there from the north where they have confirmed now the Northern Executive new restrictions to curb the spread. They're in real trouble over the border. Serious, serious trouble in Northern Ireland. They're going to close the schools for two weeks. Pubs and restaurants closing for four weeks except for takeaway. Universities will be doing distance learning with only essential learning face-to-face. Off licenses and supermarkets that sell alcohol, no sale after 8 p.m. Retail will stay open, but for individual uh, and gyms for individual training. Weddings, now get this one weddings limited to 25 people, but no receptions. Funerals also limited to 25 people, and there's household restrictions. That's coming in in the north. They haven't said when, but it is going to come in. 1850-715-996. Just on the budget, uh, our Fiona from the Cork 96FM newsroom, Fiona Corcoran, went off down to lovely Cork McSherry yesterday to see just how the budget affected a small tourist-dependent town that has been badly hit by this pandemic. 
Like many coastal towns and villages, Cork McSherry relies heavily on tourism. Staycations provided businesses with a bumper summer, but there's concern about the months ahead. Thank God we, we had that. But as you see from now on, we have literally nothing coming in and we don't know what's going to happen for Christmas. But I'm really concerned for the next six months. That's Billy Adams, who invested a lot of money in the Court McSherry Hotel just before COVID hit. We had very good positivity at the end of 2019 where we, we got on the Wild Atlantic Way. And I went into the bank and I said, look, we're on the Wild Atlantic Way. I'm planning to open all year round. I need some money to invest in my business, which we've done up a new bar with a seven heads bar. Um, we had another outside area eating. Um, and most of all, I was able to put more money into my staff and to get better, you know, to build a team with it. Um, and we did all that. And then this has just happened now. So I'm sitting here with a big loan over my head and um, with staff who are great. And I just want to able to succeed for the next for the next three years. Hopefully we can just pull through it together. He's welcoming the reduction of VAT for the hospitality sector, but says for seasonal businesses like his, it might not be enough. I would definitely think we would need a zero percent for six months and then 9% for at least two years after that so we can keep our people on the books and keep people working. Alan Kiley of the Golden Pheasant Cafe is also welcoming the VAT reduction but is very worried as winter looms. Obviously it's a welcome boost um, but 9% on zero is still zero as they say. Um, if we can't have people inside uh, it's obviously going to affect our business massively. Um, again we're very weather dependent down here and to not have people inside again will just deter people from coming at all. A big attraction in Court McSherry is the angling and whale watching tours. And all, all the people that went on, on the whale tours would have spent money in the village, in the restaurants and uh, the cafes and of course the local shop. 55 million euro was announced for a tourism business support scheme while 5 million euro has been allocated for Cork Airport. Mark Gannon who runs the angling and whale watching tours is hoping these measures will bring overseas tourists again next year. Our angling business would be 80% 80%, uh, overseas. You know Muslim from uh, the UK, Holland, Belgium, France, Germany and this year we to just draw a line through all of that. On the 1st of July we just cancelled all our reservations for, for the rest of the year you know. But like, uh, you know, on the positive side, um, it's looking like next year, uh, the same people I want to book again. A group of people came together here to set up a community-run shop and director Dennis Cahillan thinks this could be the solution to surviving the pandemic. We kept going and even one of the lads there in the shop told me yesterday, or yesterday before, he said he was in the shop and he didn't think there'd be anything happened. But geez, he was, he was amazed that uh, there'd be two come, there'd be five minutes of quiet and there'll be another one turn up so we're taking over all right you know this model could work in other places this model could work in other places and i'm sure a lot of people will look to uh, towns and villages like court mcsherry with their great sense of community that they've come together to try to work their way through this thanks fiona for that package 1850 elaine got on to us and she said we're parents on two basic wages who are working full-time and just over the combined threshold for benefits. We're also renting and trying to save for a house, but it's just not happening. Our rent is 1400 a month. Our childcare is 1250 a month. Why haven't parents like us been considered in this budget? We've no prospect of buying a house. We'd be better off being on social welfare and taking the benefits. Our combined income a month is 3300 
and outgoing with rent and childcare and bills is 3,100, leaving us with 200 quid for petrol, etc. That's 50 euro a week. Please, can you do something about childcare? It's a disgrace. It's the cost of a mortgage that would allow some hope of buying a house. And questions like that and others are some questions that I may put to Minister Michael McGrath when he joins me in the final hour of today's opinion line. 1850-715-996. But I mentioned this on the air a few weeks ago. And a lot of people saying, oh, it's one of the most important things on Netflix at the moment. And we really should look at it. And we really should take to heart what it has to say. And I did look at it. And I thought, oh dear, oh dear, we really need to rethink our digital life. It's called the social dilemma. We'll discuss it next. The Takeover. On Cork's 96FM. Weeknights from 7 on the Big Drive Home. We give you the chance to take charge of our tunes. Join me, Lorraine, as you decide what songs we fire up. What we play. See our song list on 96FM Insta Stories. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now 083 396 96 96 96. On Cork's 96FM. So I came across this. KC was talking about it one morning a few weeks ago. He said that he had watched it and it frightened the living bejabers out of him. That day then I was looking at, I think I was watching The Fall on Netflix and it was, you know, the way it comes to the top of these things are trending. And then I went and watched it. A lot of people think Google's just a search box and Facebook's just a place to see what my friends are doing. What they don't realize is there's entire teams of engineers whose job is to use your psychology against you. Google, Twitter, Instagram. There were meaningful changes happening around the world because of these platforms. I always felt like fundamentally it was a force for good. I don't know if I feel that way anymore. Facebook discovered that they were able to affect real-world behavior and emotions without ever triggering the user's awareness. If you want to control the population of your country, there has never been a tool as effective as Facebook. If you believed in conspiracy theories, you'd think, well, yeah, it's a big conspiracy theory. But it's reality, isn't it? Orla Conlon is at Extra.ie. I watched it and I thought... I really should delete all this stuff. Well, I can't, because they've got yeah. me. It's, it, yeah, it's mad, isn't it? You watch it, and I think I think it, we've come a long way in our conversation about social media. Like, I remember kind of the last five years has been a lot about, you know, delete your old embarrassing pictures on Facebook of you out drinking or, you know, posts that might be a little bit, you know, shameful in case employers might see it or in case, you know, landlords might see it and might land you in trouble. And I feel like this is the next step on from that beyond kind of the people walking the street that might look at old things on our social media and uh, find offence or fault in them. This is beyond 
beyond that, how are the big companies, the big tech companies and big brands around the globe using these technologies without, and possibly the most terrifying thing is the line that you just heard in that clip there, without even triggering our own awareness that it's happening. So it is definitely a shock to the system to watch it. You kind of go, oh my God, I am a part of this and I've bought into it for however many years I've been on Facebook or Twitter or whatever it might be. You know what, Orle, that line you just used there, I don't know how many people I've spoken to about with regard to their problem with drink and drugs and they didn't even realise they were addicted until they were addicted. It's not dissimilar. It's not. No, it's not. It's definitely something. I mean, in the early days of Facebook, it was it wasn't it just a great way to keep in contact with people that you wouldn't see not normally or people you met here, there and everywhere that you wouldn't be neighbours with or see. Wasn't it a great social tool to keep people together, to keep track of friends in your life? And now it's kind of and that's essentially what it was in the beginning. You know, for anyone who's seen the social network or, or read about the early days of Facebook, that's kind of what it was meant to be. And now it has become this multi-billion dollar industry and you kind of think, well, how? Because I'm not paying any subscription fee. I'm not paying to have a platform on the on Facebook. So then what are what are they making money off of? And it's it's data, which is now the number one most uh, you know valuable commodity in the world. Like it once was oil and now it's data. That, the most that, that point resource. is made though, isn't it, Orla? You know, when something is free, if a product is free, you're the product. Yeah. And that's, that's the whole thing now, you know, and even one of the main uh, contributors in it is a guy called Tristan Harris who worked at Google and worked on the, the, the Gmail app and that was where he was focusing and he began to realise that he was getting addicted to Google and, and to email and, and, and started to feel that there was a, a social issue, that they were no longer taking care of the people using the platform but exploiting them for their own good. And he was a guy who c- came up with this presentation, sent it out to all of his Google employees to say, look, we have a moral obligation here to take care of the people that are coming to our site because it's not just you and I, PJ, that are coming on and using these platforms and have a little bit of awareness of what we're doing and what might people might have access to but it's kids coming on and using these platforms seemingly innocently but our their data is also now valuable because they want to keep our eyes on the screen for as long as possible to serve us as many brand advertisements as they possibly can so they curate places that you can feel like you can stay for hours and hours and we've all done it we've all gone on for a two or three minute scroll and next thing it's 20 minutes later you're still sat down on your phone and you're still on your feet and you go oh my god what have I just done and you've gotten dragged into that kind of that that news feed, and they kept you there, and it's all deliberate. And not and not a, some of the news is fake, fake news, and it's the the show demonstrates how easy it is to bury fake news in people's minds as if it was fact. Yeah. Look, this is, I mean, this is a conversation, I mean, it really reared its head back in kind of 2016 with the US election and Donald Trump claiming fake news and all this kind of stuff. And they kind of touch on that as well, the kind of political uh, weaponization of social media. And I thought one of the most uh, important lines in it was that lies spread six times faster than truth on social media. And that's a study that's been done on social media use. And that is shocking. So it's quickly, and you know yourself from having journalists on your show and, and working on stories, it takes time to clarify stories. It yeah. takes time to find proof. It takes time to back it up and make sure that you've got all your T's yeah. crossed and your I's dotted. Whereas it takes seconds for someone to post a lie on social media and for that to grab someone's attention and to spread like wildfire. So therefore, conspiracy theories and fake news absolutely 
thrive on yeah. platforms like Facebook and Twitter who have now found themselves in courts in the US over this exact issue about, you know, the, the election being interfered with on Facebook back in 2016. And it's really drawn it into a whole new realm that maybe we hadn't considered it being a part of before. Yeah. Finally, parents watching this would make you very wary of the amount of social media your kids are using. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's 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 an interesting part in the in the documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it. There's the, the factual side, there's the, the contrib- contributions from people who worked in places like Google and Facebook and all these places. But then there's also this kind of dramatisation narrative running mm. throughout it as well of this kind of seemingly regular American family, three kids yeah. um, who kind of have varying likes for, for social media. And it is scary. Yeah, she works very well very the way they familiar. mingle the two into it. It works really, really well. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The, the mum is trying to, you know, find a way to, to get them away from their screens and how can we have a family dinner without phones being a part of... And it's scary to see how some of the kids struggle without their phones and really find it, like you said, as an addiction. They cannot keep themselves away from the screen for too long. So it's definitely scary. The Opinion Live with PJ Coogan on Courts 96 FM. Coming up later this hour, joined by Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath, to talk about yesterday's budget and the questions that have arisen during the course of the morning from various sectors. People happy, people not so happy, people who think, well, if you can give it to him, why can't you give it to me? What about us? The Minister will take questions later this hour. 1850-715-996. Text to WhatsApp 083-396-9696. The email is opinion at 96mm.ie. Jer watched The Social Dilemma on Netflix. To describe it as terrifying would be an understatement. Yeah, I watched it and I must go watch it again because they work the drama of the typical American family in with all the people who left Instagram and Google and Twitter and Facebook and they worked the docudrama thing in really, really well. It's about a minute, about an hour and 30-something minutes and you want to be awake for it. You would want to be able to focus because there's a lot of information in there, but well worth watching. Right, let us go to Valerie at Debenhams because yesterday morning Valerie was on with me in advance of the court case where KPMG were seeking an injunction against the striking former Debenhams workers. And they got that injunction just, I think, as we were as we were coming off the air, we got word that they got the injunction. Valerie, has anything changed down there today? Good morning to you. Good morning. No, we're, we're still waiting now at this stage. Apparently, they're meant to paste the injunction on the front of the store. Nice. But um, there's no sign of it yet. And it hasn't been put on any of the other 10 stores either. So... We don't know what the delay is, but um, we're grateful for the delay at the moment anyway. Because the nature of an injunction is once it's posted on the door of the store, you're deemed to have been informed. And then if you do anything, you're deemed to have knowingly broken the injunction and, and action can be taken against you. But until such time as it's on the door, you can be deemed not to have been informed. Isn't that right? That's right, yeah. Even though it's a bit of a... Because it's been on the newspapers, we've been informed. Yeah. So we know, so it's kind of, um, somebody told us that last week, so we, we actually, the fact that it has been on the newspapers and it's been on RT, we've actually been informed of it because we, know, we now know about it. Mm. So so has your presence changed in any way down there? Oh, extra people on this Extra morning. people. Right. Yeah, people are, and I'm not even asking for it because we have a red, a red alert app. And um, 
I let people know that way, but people are just arriving now this morning um, just to give extra support to the staffer. So, you know. What are the implications of breaching the injunction? So, once the vans come, we will ask them nicely to not pass our picket because it's an official picket. If they continue on, we will try and stop them then from going into the service yard to take to go into Debenhams to take the stock out. At that stage, then, they can call the guards, or the guards might already be with them. And the guards will read out the injunction to us. And then if we don't step back, they'll take our names. We'll be given a caution. And we'll have to go up then in front of the High Court to the judge. Should it happen that you're faced with that situation, you and your colleagues down there, faced with a van that is trying to get in or trying to get out, warned by the guardie of the implications of the injunction, do you plan to step back? No. We're staying where we are. PJ, we've been at this now for over six months. Today is 188 days and we can't just just walk away from it. We're uh, empty-handed, not even, you know, so no, we're not. We're staying where we are. The document agreed in 2016 with mandate and Debenhams and all of that, the 2 plus 2 document. We've been through it before, but just for listeners who, who wouldn't remember, you were guaranteed that if anything happened in 2016... It would be two weeks statutory and two weeks pay per year of service. That was a two plus two equals four package. The company, yes. that's all you want now, isn't it? You want, that's all we're asking you, for. We're not asking for billions. We're only asking for... Now, I take it that, you know. that that exists in a signed document, doesn't it? Yes, it, it does. does. And, and every agreement we would have had after that, on the end of the agreement, it would have said, and all past agreements are mm. also to be adhered to. And is there any way of, of trying to legally, for mandate, for example, the union of which you're a shop steward, is there any way for, for mandate to try to force debitums to honour that agreement? I know the, I know the mandate, we're talking with uh, Damien English and mandate had a solicitor last Monday. Um, so, and I know they were going through some of the legal parts of it. He's a junior but, minister, Damien English, isn't yeah, he? Now? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So what came about of that? Now, obviously, there was nothing came of it because they were just talking about the legal side of it. Yeah. So maybe that's what they were discussing. Because people were asking me questions there in the last day or two, Valerie, with regard to it. And look, we've been, we have, we have, someone wants to accuse us of bias. Yeah, we have been biased. No doubt we've been biased since the start here. <laughs> and, and we appreciate it. I, I know you do. And that's okay too. And I'm sure PKPMG aren't too happy and Deblins wouldn't no. be too happy. But, you know, we made, our, we made our beds and we're sitting in it. But if there's a written and signed document there, agreed between all sides in 2016, one would think, isn't that the legal route would be to trot into some kind of a court and say, come here, this signed document. Yeah, but England are saying that they weren't part of us, that we had separated um, back mm. in the examinership, so that that'd, would be their be up, argument That'd be up that. to them to fight that, wouldn't it? Though? Well, it would, yeah. of course, yeah, it yeah. would, of course. You know? That may be the next step, but you're going, you're going, you'll, you'll, you'll risk arrest, will you, Val? Yes, I will. And I have plenty of people behind me. And I might add, it's all women, even though K- uh, KPMG would like to think it's, there's a lot of men there. But it's predominantly women. And mm. it will be predominantly women that will be ready for to be arrested over the next few days. Mm. You're not going away, are you? No, no. I'm very stubborn, aren't I? <laughs> <laughs> well, well I, I don't have the clip to hand. I can't see it on my screen <laughs> Thank here. Thank God. <laughs> well, I'll find it. Do you remember what you said to me? Yes, I do. <laughs> if I have to be here to me 90th birthday. 
<laughs> Valerie, keep us posted if anything should happen. Uh, thanks uh, very much. Cheers. Okay, thanks Cheers. Right. That's Valerie Condon from, uh, she's the chop, mandate shop steward at Debenhams in Patrick Street. And the injunction has now been served. It's not been posted up on the stores, which it's supposed to be, but it hasn't been. So if they make any attempt now to block a van getting in or out to take stock, they'll be informed by the guards formally of the existence of the injunction and asked to step back. They've said they won't step back. They'll risk arrest and the draw themselves into the court. That's where they are now. But you would wonder, though, this document that exists, written and signed in 2016, has there been any attempt to take that into a courtroom and, and get it enforced? It seems to me logical that it should be done. I don't know, I'm not an employment law solicitor, but it'd be worth a try. 1850-715-996. It's really important we continue our efforts to stop the spread of coronavirus. New government guidelines have now made mask wearing mandatory in shops, supermarkets, shopping centres and on public transport. Retail staff must also wear a mask, unless there's a two metre distance or a partition. Disposable masks should only be worn once. Cloth masks should be washed daily and multiple masks should be used in rotation. If a mask becomes damp or wet, it's no longer effective and should be changed. Remember, when touching your mask, wash or sanitize your hands. Help stop the spread of coronavirus and stay safe. I've been trying to keep my distance. Keep up to date with the latest COVID-19 information at 96fm.i This is Cork's Gold Imro Award-winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Call us now. 1850 715 On Cork's 96FM. Well, people are getting back to work, hopefully, at the, the end of the pandemic or if you get an opportunity to take up a job or change your career during the pandemic, then you know, the best ones have gotten you. But there's a great course happening at the Cork City Partnership, which is specifically aimed at women uh, to get into the workplace after years of being at home, raising family, minding kids, looking after the house and all of that to turn those skills that women learned and adapted and used to raise their families and develop their homes and all of that, to use that in the workplace now. It's a kind of a converse, a converse, conversion course, yeah, there's the word, to use those skills outside. And the catch-up I did recently with someone who actually took that course and is now back in the workplace after a number of years at home. And that's Geraldine. We've been having a chat. Geraldine, how long is it since you worked out of the home? Um, it was 2007, 2006, 2007. I was working part-time and I went but left and to do a course. But uh, I did it too much for me with the kids and what have you. So I was from 2006 to 2000, February of this year, 2020. Right, right. So, 14 so years. you looked after your parents, and then you raised the, th- the children. <laughs> after that, you just feel like retiring. I would have thought. <laughs> no, it it um it didn't start off that way. I I decided to take some time off and concentrate on the home and my kids and what have you. And then your kids get older. Or you, your kids get older, and your parents get over older, and the years kind of slip by. More, more than anything else. You don't make a decision to stop. And I, I think, you know, I'd like to go back. I'd like to go back. But you put it off and you put it off because there's always something more important 
or somebody else still needs to be looked after. So it was just time slipped away more than anything else. And then my, um, no, I'm not the only one in the family, I have to say, who's helping my parents, um, definitely. But I was the one who was not actually working nine to five yeah. in a job. So it was easier for me to drop kids at school and then go and help out. My father passed away in 2007. Right. And um, then it just kind of naturally fell into it. Just, you know, to just call in and check up and spend time with my mother and, you know, do the necessary yeah. shopping. Yeah. You know, being as the hairdresser, being at the post office, you know, yeah. whatever she needed doing. And it was it was um, a way for, to fill my day while the kids were at school. And then, you know, it, it wasn't... It, it wasn't hard work. It was just kind of very, very natural. Yeah. But I, time passed by. Yeah. You know, the months slipped by, the years slipped by, and you, you, more and more distance from work, then you think, oh, no, would I be able, would I be, you know, yeah. would I be any good? Would I remember anything, you know, that I learned before? At what point did you decide, okay, now it's time to go back to work. Where do I start? Um, my kids getting older, I think, and they need you less and you don't, you're not running and racing doing the, you know, the school run and then there are the, uh, the art school yeah. activities, they need you less and less yeah. and you kind of find time in your hands and you kind of get bored and you're sitting at home and you're still having the dog. You can only walk the dog so much, you know. Poor dog so, is hiding then, from you, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Paws walked off. But, uh, and then I decided, right, you know, I'll go do a course. And then I start looking at courses and things to do at night and how to have you. But then I thought, right, you know what? Upskill what I know already, you know, yeah. go and do it. The idea went to do an EDC, EDCL course because I wanted to sit down and say, right, I know X amount about computers, but yeah. how much do I really know? Yeah. Can I, you know, do a course? And, you know, I got my piece of paper at the end of this and I was very, I was very proud of myself. This is the European well, computer driving license, yeah, which takes exactly. that takes a bit of work. Fair play to you for, for getting that. So you'd worked in the, the health sector before. Now you're back mm-hmm. as a medical secretary. So I think the obvious question is, Geraldine, the first morning that you walked in to the mm-hmm. how did you how did you go about getting the job first? And then the first morning you walked in, what had changed? How did I get it? Well, oh, the job. Well, um. But that was part of the course. They they um they taught you like it wasn't the traditional way anymore. There was no much such thing as looking up in the papers or stuff like that. Which is, a, okay. I suppose, a lot of kids wouldn't even know what I'm talking about now. You know, they weren't advertised anymore. You had to go search for the jobs and, you know, um, looking on websites. And I just looked up Mars Private Cork and it had a Dropbox Fear CD and I sent it, which I know had a lovely CD thanks to the course. Yeah. So I sent it in and they contacted me and I went for an interview. And so before they got it, yeah, and and then started in February. So oh. it was uh, it was very quick once it got you know once I made the decision I'm I'm really going to go for this. Yeah. It was very quick. And the first day that you I, I take it the course had prepared you for all that, but there's nothing more daunting, I guess, than walking in there for real the first time. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. How was that yeah. experience? It was. Uh, it was. Uh, Oh, I suppose my heart was in my throat, to be honest. I was trying to be calm and, you know, smile and be professional and act like I belong there. And, you know, but everybody was so nice and everybody was so welcoming. And it was just, it was easy to slot in because of that. Yeah. And everybody wanted to, you know, 
there was a lot of there's a lot of people who are in the, who have been in the same boat as me who had left to come back, uh, had left to have children, and guys uh, and women had left to have children and come back. Mm. So there are full time people, there are part time people, there are people who move from other jobs into the place. Yeah. So you know everybody has a story, and everybody everybody had a first day. Yeah. And everybody was very supportive and, you know, and very helpful. Yeah. So it was, that helped a lot. Tell me about the course then. How did you find out about it? How did you get involved in it? What does this entail? Well, I started because I wanted to do a course and wanted to, um, you know, a computer course. Right? And I uh, was ringing various places and various numbers. And uh, if you ring you know, the likes of libraries, or you stand in the library and you look up in the notice boards and you see community notices and what have you. And I rang, um, I saw um, a notice for Ballyfehan Community Centre where there were various courses been run, uh, running. And I rang and somebody gave me the number for Siobhan, Siobhan O'Neill, and I rang her. Mm. And she, um, she outlined the course and I thought, that sounds exactly what I need. Uh, exactly. Yeah. It, was a, it could have been tailor-made for me. So yeah. I... Turned up on the. I was invited to go along and turned up the first day, and it was, it was. Um, even that was a bit daunting, to be honest. You know, turning up and sitting there, but everybody was. I thought, right, I'll sit down the back and hide. You know, <laughs> <laughs> but it, it was great. It, it, you know, all the women there were all. Uh, um, well, all was there a kind of a realization earlier on? Do you know what, Geraldine? You're not on your own here. Oh, it was. Yeah, we were all. We're all different people with different backgrounds, but the same story, if you know what I mean. Yeah. We all want, we were, we, this is the starting point. We wanted to go somewhere. We wanted to get somewhere, but we weren't exactly sure how to do it. Yeah. And this, this was the steps of the stairs to, to get us there. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it made things, some things very clear what you wanted and also very clear what you didn't want. And then it, 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 it constantly built your appetite and your confidence to go forward and do more and learn more. Mm. And, you know, there was great support with all the, the girls who were there, great support. And it was great fun. You know, it, it wasn't, you know, it wasn't like being students. It was, yeah. it was, it was, it was lighthearted and, um. Because had you I, worried at any point that, you know, the world of work has passed me by? Oh, yeah. yeah. Big time. Oh, big time, yeah. I'd but, like to explore that. Why Why do you think that, or why would you think that? I suppose the world is, uh, the world is constantly changing, and I suppose you, th- you think your skills are obsolete, and, you know, what do I know about this, that, and the other? When you, but it's, it's, um, which is why, you know, when we went in and they sat down and they said, look, you can do this, 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 and this. When you're at home, you're a manager, you're a counsellor, you're a financial advisor, you're all things to all people. Yeah. And you can take this and that and the other and you can put this to our job. And this is, well, if you're in this situation, you, you know. And, you, and that's what they taught you to do, to sort of take yeah. the experience of running a home and all that and put it into work. Mm. Wow. Exactly, wow. exactly. And to realise, you, you have a, the person that you were, when you were working, or had been working, was still there. And the skills you had learned there, you learned way back when. You still had them. You just needed to... Um, to realise it again, sharpen. I suppose. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and sharpen them up and apply them again. And it was, it was hugely, hugely helpful. 
hugely helpful. Well, sounds, helpful. sounds like it's been a big change for you. It's been great. It really has. It's, it's, I know it's kind of hackneyed, but I can feel like I'm getting the old me back. You know, you, you go, you go into work, you have your own world, you go into work, you have your friends, you, you have your chat in the tea room, you do your job, you, you get satisfaction from that. You get, um, you get a salary, which is great, great as well. You know, it's, I'd advise anybody if there's even half thinking about going back to work to, to have a look at this course. Because it really will help you. I mean, from everything from, you know, from your goals, what you've done, building up your confidence, how to dress in an interview, uh, mock interviews. Mm. You know, uh, it, it was all there for us. You know, we, we you, every week we came in. And then, of course, there was the big thing, which was my big fear was the CV. What do I do with the CV? Yeah. How do I put it together? Covering letters scared me to death they really did I had nowhere to start I I remember sitting in front of the computer and it was just blank page I didn't even know where to start <laughs> so we we met the, um, we met the facilitator she sat down she went to our CVs and you can do this with this and you can do that with this and you know um, it was you know how where to send it to the different agencies that are out there she'd advise us you know how long it should be well, yeah. the main bullet points this should be the covering letter. It was it was great. It really was yeah. giving and giving you all the the tools, as it were, to to get yourself back into the workplace. Well, I, I wish you best of luck for the future, and you'd highly recommend the course. I would definitely, oh. definitely. Geraldine, Thanks. lovely talking to you. And you too, Peter. Thank you very much. That's Geraldine talking a little while back. A Cork City Partnership website. You'll get the all the information with regard to growing your potential. 1850-715-996. Coming up, we put questions to Minister for Public Expenditure, Michael McGrath. You guys ready? We're driving, we're driving. The Big Drive Home, weekdays from four. On Cork's 96FM. Hey, it's Lorraine. Make sure to join me weekdays on The Big Drive Home for the latest Cork traffic updates. I've got the best music mix. You can try your luck at the one second song and we put you in complete control of the music on the takeover. Hi Lorraine, can you play Kygo Whitney, Higher Love? I'd love to hear the new song from 1975. Hey Lorraine, just wondering if you could play any song by the script. I'll toss you weekdays from four. The Big Drive Home. With Ford Lease. Takes the hassle out of vehicle leasing. If you're a business, it's easy to budget with no unforeseen costs. Cork's 96 FM. This is Cork's Gold Imro Award winning talk show. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. Text or WhatsApp now. 083 396 9696. On Cork's 96 FM. So we're taking some of your questions and I'll put them to Minister Michael McGrath in a few moments. Minister, good morning to you. Hi PJ, good morning to you. And thank you for taking our call. Just to go no through problem. the things that people uh, picked up on yesterday, obviously the business yeah. supports huge amount of money. The rebate, which I think a lot of people were, were saying, yeah, that, that that's a good thing. The cut in vast, the scrapping commercial rates and all of that. Uh, you had the spending on health, $2 billion on COVID-related stuff. Then you had acute beds, yeah. community beds. I'll go through it all piece by piece, starting with, with, with the business and the support of the live music and events industry and the changes in the pop payment for self-employed people. There isn't really much point in going out to earn that little small amount of money? 
Well, good morning, PJ, and thanks for having me on. And for a lot of people who are self-employed and whose business is gone or who are out of work, the ability to earn something and still keep the pup could be of real value. And it is an issue that has been raised with us quite a lot over recent months. If you think of, you know, people in the events industry, uh, performers, artists, uh, other self-employed people who might have had, you know, a day's work here or two days work there. And the social welfare system isn't always flexible enough to accommodate that. And people were understandably concerned that if they had to sign off the pup to do a little bit of work, could they have difficulty getting back on and all of the administrative issues around that and so on. So what um, Minister Heather Humphreys and I are now proposing is that uh, immediately people would be able to earn, people self who are self-employed, and on the pop would be able to earn um, 120 a week or 480 a month uh, without it impacting on their pop payment. So that could be a real value if people, you know, have the opportunity to earn that. And I'm not saying, of course, that everybody does. Not everybody does, but as well as no. that, for some sectors, like that's you. By the time they're finished with tax and VAT and all that, that that it really isn't worth their while, is what it, what they're saying. Oh, well, look, I, I think it is of value to them. I mean, if you are a performer and uh, if you can get a gig, an online gig or whatever, and there's some payment for it, uh, that would have created potential problems uh, with your pop payment. But now it is going to be allowed. And as you referred to earlier, there is um, a 50 million euro uh, allocation of being given to Minister Martin, Catherine Martin's department to uh, roll out uh, a live performance scheme. She had started it on a pilot basis. Uh, we had given €5 million euro earlier in the summer and it was massively oversubscribed. And so we think that, you know, it is a good way to, to give people um, in the entertainment uh, uh, and performance sector an opportunity to do some work. So she'll be setting out the full details of that shortly. Okay. In fairness, Michael, a huge spend, an absolutely yeah. enormous spend, and no doubt we've borrowed to do it, which and the rates are yeah. favourable and all of that at the moment. But do you know, when you borrow money from the man, the man will eventually want it back. And what's in people's minds this morning is as they read of the money being spent on business, on housing, on health, and all of that, education, someone's going to want it back someday. So is this just the precursor now to get us out of the pandemic and then into years of austerity? No, I don't believe so. I mean, first of all, I think that this is the right response. And, you know, even bodies like the Fiscal Advisory Council, you know, they'd be the watchdog over the government in relation to budget issues. Even they have recommended that the right approach now is to support the economy and spend a lot of money uh, to uh, help protect jobs and give businesses the best chance to survive. So, I mean, broadly speaking, the majority of economists and independent uh, analysts, you know, would recommend that kind of approach that when the economy is weak, the government should step in uh, and spend more money to support it. And But you are right, of course, in saying that this is borrowed money. And thankfully, we are in a position to borrow now uh, at essentially uh, close to zero. And what that means is if we borrow money over, let's say, uh, a 10-year period, if we issue a 10-year bond, uh, there, there, uh, there is essentially no servicing cost or very low servicing cost on that for 10 years. Mm. And then the issue is, uh, and it's probably your next question, what happens in 10 years' time when that bond expires? And governments generally don't pay down debt, they roll it over. And so you have to borrow again then to pay mm. back the original bond. Yeah. 
uh, and that could be at a higher interest rate than I, the new one. And that is the risk. Our, that, our national is debt is already colossal and we've added an awful amount to it. And someday, yeah. someday, the bank will come looking for its money. So our national debt is high. It's, uh, going into COVID-19, it was around €200 billion. Euro. By the end of next year, it will be around €240 billion. Euro. Uh, but uh, we believe it is affordable. Uh, we do believe it is the right thing to do. Uh, to borrow at this time to invest in capital infrastructure, for example. Mm. Uh, we'll be spending over $10 billion next year. Uh, we saw the Dunkettle project finally uh, approved by government uh, yesterday. And, uh, you know, we think that we're striking the right balance here. But if we were to start withdrawing supports and, you know, allowing vulnerable businesses to close for good, uh, then our problem would get much worse. Mm. Uh, so uh, this is, I, I think, a good balance. But you're right in saying that we can't be adding 20 billion every year to the national debt. I mean, that goes without saying. We will have to get to a point where we are reducing the deficit. But if you can get the economy growing, then that's the best way to build your tax revenues. And much of the expenditure that we have by way of income supports and social welfare won't then be required. Is so there any that, prospect, the is there any prospect, Minister, and you're, you're an accountant by profession yourself, so you, you'll know the kind of question I'm about to ask, that, like, is there any prospect at all that somewhere down the road at the European Union, when we're out of the back of this, the central bank or someone will say, listen, let's do kind of what we did after World War Two with the Marshall money and, you know, just, just pay it back kind of over the next 50, 60, 70, just give it to us when you have it. Well, there's no sense of that at the moment. But having said that, uh, the European Central Bank uh, has been very supportive in the markets and they are buying a lot of government bonds across uh, the Eurozone and that is helping to keep the cost of borrowing down. But they've only committed to continuing with that policy up to June of 2021, though most uh, experts believe that they will have to uh, extend it well beyond that. So that is what allows us to borrow at very low interest rates. Uh, like we are looking always at how do we compare with other European countries uh, and we're in a reasonably good position relative to most others. Um, you know, our deficit is high in, in cash terms, but as a percentage of the economy, um, it is, you know, uh, probably around the middle of the pack. There are many countries worse off. So at some point when the ECB starts to pull away from that exceptional support, um, you are then at the mercy of the markets Mm. And they will dictate the price that they will lend to you at. Mm. And if you can't show to them that you have a handle on your finances and that they are sustainable, then they'll charge an awful lot more money to that's, lend that's to you. The bit so that, that is the challenge. That's yeah, the bit that, that scares people looking down yeah. the road because we, we, we all remember 2008 and, and all that. Let's, let's go to one of the sectors. And there are people who are happy and there are business people happy and relieved rather than happy, I think. But one sector that's not particularly happy is carers. Let's have a listen to Brenda, who I spoke to earlier on this morning on the Opinion Line. There's over 355,000 carers in Ireland and we save 10 billion a year for the government. And they've given us 150 euros in our carer support grant and we won't get that until June um, 21. You know, we never really use it for respite because we have so many bills and so many outgoings. We, 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 well, us as a family anyway, we put it straight back into Fionn. And I, I would say that most carers have so many bills and so many expenditures that, you know, we're counting the days until that grant comes. Like when she sees businesses yeah. being helped out with lots of money, like five grand a week for a business has to close down due to restrictions, which, by the way, is a fabulous thing. 
she feels a bit left out. Yeah, and look, I mean, carers uh, are heroes in what they do, and they are saving the state a huge amount of money, but more importantly, they're providing a service that is absolutely invaluable. Um, she has referred there to the uh, the increase in the carer support grant of €150. Euro. Um, we will be paying the Christmas bonus. I mean, for half of the last decade that wasn't paid, it is going to be paid uh, at the full rate in the first week of December. And more importantly, I think, than all of that, we have provided a lot of money for disability services, um, an extra €100 million euro for new measures, which is about improving uh, respite care, about ensuring that uh, day services uh, resume fully. Uh, and then we have, separate to all of that, we're increasing the number of home support hours uh, by 5 million hours. And that's on top of about 20 in normal times. We're increasing that by a quarter. So that should help people in maybe a non-financial way mm. uh, to improve the services. And uh, so I think when you take all of that, we've done our best on it. But we have in this budget gone with a targeted social welfare package that uh, is really about tackling poverty. That's why some of it is, is focused on the child. Uh, the but, no, but no change in main rates, main main rates of benefit minister means that you know those yeah. people are on a fixed income when there's less money about, and you know they're they're going to struggle, particularly with carbon taxes and things like that. Yeah, well, we have uh, increased the, the fuel allowance as an offset to the carbon tax. But you're yeah. right, we, we haven't gone... That won't put petrol in the car. We haven't gone with rate increases across the board. I mean, we did have to make choices. Uh, we are in extraordinary circumstances. Uh, you know, you started talking about the level of, of the deficit. The deficit next year is going to be almost as high as the deficit uh, in 2020. So we do need to keep uh, an eye on that. Uh, and uh, I think what we've done in a targeted way to support uh, carers and others uh, on social welfare will be of help to, to, to some who really need it, uh, including children, uh, families with children, by increasing that um, improvements in the ability of one parent families to earn uh, money at work while keeping their payment, for example, uh, and the living alone allowance, you know, about a third of, of, um, of pensioners do live alone and they are getting a five euro increase because, you know, their costs are, uh, their costs are fixed. Yeah. whether there's one or two people in the house. So we've just tried to adopt a targeted approach. Yeah. I mean, if we were to go with a, a, a fiver a week across the board, it would be at least another €400 million. Euro. Um, so, you know, we did have to make choices. OK. The single-income family, uh, €40,000, three school children. nothing in it for us, in fact, says this caller to the show, nothing in it for us. In fact, the carbon tax on fuel will be a bit of a hit. Yeah, it, it will. It will for people uh, who, uh, you know, have to drive a, a petrol or a, or a diesel car, uh, undoubtedly. What we've done with the proceeds from that is we have put it back into areas that we think will make a difference. Some of it into social welfare uh, in providing support, some of it into uh, retrofitting of homes, including social housing. Uh, there's over 60 million euro provided for retrofitting uh, council housing. I think that's uh, that's important as mm-hmm. well. Uh, but look, it wasn't really the kind of budget that was about putting a lot of money in people's pockets. I yeah. mean, I would oh, acknowledge yeah. that, DJ, yeah. um, because of what you tried to avoid taking it out of their pockets as well. Well, in, in so far as you can, um, but we're dealing with uh, you know a massive threat to our health uh, in terms of COVID and our economy uh, and trying to support the economy and help people to stay at work who are fortunate to have a job 
and then investing huge money in reskilling, retraining, education opportunities for people who, you know, sadly have lost their job yeah. uh, and want to find their way back. But uh, like our first priority is to keep people safe. And that's why we are uh, not just providing the money to help to deal with COVID, but we're giving them money to increase our permanent capacity yeah. by increasing the number of beds. Um, and also on the housing side, like we are really ramping up the direct building of social houses by the state. In 2019, we built 6,000 uh, as a country. It's going to be 9,500 next year. So, uh, you know, There'll be more, more money going to private landlords, though, than into, into new houses. Well, we've we've shifted from uh, uh, rental support to direct bills. That's where we want the policy to go, and this is a new government. And so we're going from you know six thousand uh, bills to to nine and a half thousand. Uh, but you can't stop the HAP supports, the housing assistance payment supports, um, overnight unless you have an alternative to offer to people. Mm. So we're trying. I, I think there's much better value long term for the state in helping people to have their own home rather than paying uh, rental supports. Because we are, if you take all of the various schemes, probably paying in the region of eight to nine hundred million euro a year now uh, in rent support. Okay. Uh, I think it would be much better to build the houses that people need. When we were a much poorer country, as I said yesterday, we managed to do that, uh, and we should be doing it now. In the context of where we are with, with health and the pandemic and all that, we're being listened to, Minister, you and I, uh, by Dr. Niall Conroy in Queensland, Australia. And we had uh, Dr. Conroy on the opinion line a week or so ago. He's one of the leading public health doctors in Queensland where they are practically COVID-free now and getting on with their lives. He has a specific question for you. What will the regional public health units get in terms of increased staffing as we try to deal with this pandemic. We hear about testing and tracing, he says, but their labs and contact tracing centres. What about regional public health units where, where his, the staff are practically ready to throw in the towel, they're worked off their feet, there's not enough of them, they've no resources. What's being done for the specific public health departments? So at that, at that level of detail, PJ, it would really be for the Department of Health and the HSC to allocate the funding. So my job in the last number of weeks was to um, negotiate with Stephen Donnelly uh, and his officials as to what money they actually need uh, to deal with COVID. And they will then allocate that to the acute hospital system by way of extra beds, extra critical care beds, uh, to community and primary care as well, uh, to the various testing facilities that are there, uh, including in Cork and in CUH, where uh, a huge amount of, uh, of volume of tests uh, is being done. So I don't have you know that level of, of detail as to how many extra staff it will need uh, at each particular okay. centre, but uh, we, we've provided the funding that they need, and I think that's the the priority for me uh, as Minister for Public Expenditure, we have not held back. We've given them what they say they need and they will allocate it then, you know, based on, on clinical advice so and based probably on... Probably a question then more, more better suited for Stephen Donnelly, who yeah. I hope will, I get to take, have some questions with him someday. Just back to fuel, Sabrina has a cold fire and she says this will make heating my home unaffordable and I've no alternatives. Yeah, well, I, I don't know whether... Sabrina qualifies for the fuel allowance or not. Uh, PJ, I don't know all of her circumstances, uh, but that is going up to €28 per week. Uh, It is a means-tested payment, so not everybody gets it, but um, many people on social welfare uh, do qualify for the fuel allowance, so that that is uh, our attempt to directly compensate people for 
the increase in uh, the carbon tax and also just to say that the, the carbon tax increase on solid fuel uh, does not kick in until next May. Uh, it went up immediately, as you know, for uh, for the, the, the petrol pump and diesel pumps, but uh, not for solid fuel. That is uh, well into next year. An infrastructure question from Aidan uh, on our Facebook page. Is the Cork to Ring a Skiddy, the new road, the new motorway, is that included in capital projects? So that is provided for in the current National Development Plan. Uh, that uh, particular project is the subject of a legal challenge and that uh, is still walking its way through uh, the court system. And so it's a judicial review uh, hearing has been uh, brought in relation to that case, that, that particular project. But uh, the funding for that project uh, is in place. There will be uh, a new national development plan. I'll be very much involved in the preparation of that uh, in the next number of months. That will be a new 10-year plan um, and uh, that project, you know, subject to the core challenge and, you know, residents have a right uh, to have their grievances uh, aired and dealt with uh, and that that project is in the National Development Plan uh, but it is currently in, in the legal um, system. On uh, children, um, we're coming towards the end now, Minister. Trina's on WhatsApp. She said, how can they say they're supporting children when in the North Lee area alone, 400 children are waiting for an autism assessment? Yeah, I'm well aware of that issue, uh, PJ, and I was determined in the first budget that I'm you know, directly uh, involved in writing that we would make a serious move to deal with that issue. It's not acceptable to me uh, or to the government that people are waiting that length of time. Uh, I'm in Southley, I represent Southley, and uh, the problem is uh, equally bad there. Uh, we are determined to deal with it, and Minister Anne Rabbit is in charge of disability services, uh, and I made sure that her priorities, which include uh, more assessments and earlier assessments... Have you given her the money so, to do it, I guess? Yes. Yes, and now it's about delivery. Um, but I, I can just say that this is going to be an area that I will be directly involved in to make sure that this is delivered. Okay. I have an interest in the areas in OPJ and uh, it's uh, it's not good enough okay. um, that children are waiting two, three years to be assessed. Just not good enough. That will be dealt with. On the fuel allowance increase and the living alone allowance increase, when does that kick in? Uh, so uh, the fuel allowance increase uh, kicks in in January uh, and so does the living alone increase. So the 1st of January, they will need to be legislated for uh, in the Social Welfare Bill. So uh, Minister Heather Humphreys will bring that bill uh, into the Dáil and Shannon shortly. So the 1st of January, that is the okay. uh, the commencement date for, for the vast majority of the provisions uh, in the Social Welfare uh, Budget. Lastly, shared ownership for first-time buyers. Anything on that? Uh, so first of all, the uh, the help to buy scheme uh, is being extended uh, out to the end of next year. Uh, that is for people who are purchasing a, a new home, uh, a new house being bought by first time buyers, uh, an increase uh, up to thirty thousand euro, so ten percent uh, or thirty thousand euro, uh, whichever is lower, will be provided under that scheme. Under the affordability package, then uh, we have, including in Cork, some homes being developed by local authorities for affordable housing uh, under the Service Sites Fund. Those are going to start coming on stream uh, in uh, 2021 next year. So we have provided €110 million under affordability generally. Darrell O'Brien is introducing um, a a new affordable purchase scheme. He's going to sign the regulations uh, to bring that into effect 
uh, shortly and it will be based on uh, the shared equity model. Uh, we're also funding the Land Development Agency. So the idea there is that they would build um, social, affordable and cost rental homes uh, on public land uh, throughout the country. So they're well funded as well. Time frame on that? Oh, that's underway. That they, they they have started on on a number of sites. Okay. They, they they do need legislation, so that's coming before us. Uh, I would hope in the next uh, number of weeks. And once that's in place, they will then be able to access over a billion euro from a separate fund, which we haven't had to provide in the budget. And um, from what's called the strategic investment fund, they can make commercial investments okay. on behalf of the state. So um, the, the Land Development Agency are in line to get one and a quarter billion from them. And they're confident that they can deliver about 9,000 homes over the next number of years. That, that will be split between social, uh, affordable uh, and cost rental. Finally, Michael McGrath, a hundred and something days after being put in cabinet for the very first time, you've just delivered your first budget. For in a year's time, what would you like this budget to have achieved? I think uh, stability is probably the priority, PJ, because we are in um, extraordinary circumstances, uh, an unprecedented level of uncertainty that we are all having to deal with, uh, the government, of course, but more importantly, the people uh, in their day-to-day lives. It's hard to know what's around the corner. Uh, All we know is that change uh, is certain, but we don't quite know the nature of that change. So we just want to help people uh, to get through this period uh, in the best way that we possibly can. We need to make sure that our our health service is properly funded. Uh, We're going to to try to step up in a really significant way, uh, house building, uh, and then we are going to support the economy. Mm. Like we have thrown... Are we insulated in this package against uh, the worst case scenario with the second wave of the virus? Yes, we are, because we have funding uh, in reserve. We have a recovery fund uh, that we will allocate over the course of the year. It's going to be uh, 3.4 billion. And then on the COVID side, uh, we have we have a contingency there of a further 2 billion euro plus. So that if, and uh, we all hope it doesn't happen, but if we do have to move into different levels, that will have an impact in a whole range of areas. So we do have funding in reserve uh, to address the issues that you know would inevitably arise uh, if, if that comes to pass. Okay, let's hope it's been prudent and uh, that all the right boxes have been ticked. And thank you for taking our call today, Minister for Public Expenditure and Reform, uh, Minister Michael McGrath. Mag's very impressed with uh, Michael McGrath, very clear in his explanation of budgetary measures taken yesterday. Thanks, Mags. John just loves the show. John in Madden's buildings in Blackpool. I try to give everyone a fair shout and do Cork proud. Thank you, John. Appreciate that. And Alan says, interesting point there about the Northern Ireland lockdown. Supermarkets and offies not selling alcohol after 8 o'clock. Food for thought. Perhaps. We discussed it last week, changing the hours. Might happen here. You never know. That's it for today. The programme edited by Terry Brennan with the assistance of Deirdre O'Shaughnessy, produced and researched by Fergal Barry. We'll see you tomorrow, just after nine. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavourless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.